How are we getting in? Especially with Charlie the Tuna here. How the H am I supposed to know? You're the leader. How am I supposed to know? (laughs) You're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. And I've decided that you should eat a big bag of, I'm going to say penises, or I'll say genitalia, genitals. A big bag of genitals. How's that? You're being facetious. But if this whole beach was completely covered in genitals, and somebody said I had to eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no problemo. Why would someone put genitalia all over the beach? Who knows why madmen do what they do. And scene. All right. Welcome. A powerful moment. A very powerful moment from the Suicide Squad. Welcome, (laughs) folks, to the best film podcast with Chad and Travis. That is the best film podcast that features both Chad and Travis, where we talk about the best films of every year. How are you doing today, Chad? I'm doing great. It's a very apropos title. <laughs> it does work like that, doesn't it? Uh, I enjoy hearing you try and uh, finagle your way around profanity. Now that we've experimented with this, I'm, I'm certainly going to find raunchier and more raw content to kick off uh, future episodes to see what you can read. Can you not say penises? You replace penises with uh, genitalia as well. You can't say that word. It's very fuzzy. It's very fine. Uh, you know, these these are great, very gray areas here. Very gray. So pieces. there's there's definite no nos. Okay. But then there's uh, places where, well, you know, I don't know. Who knows? All right. Well, who's to say, Trent? Well, you 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 are the one to say. So I appreciate you fudging your um your <laughs> your way around the dialogue so we could get into our uh, our regular introduction. Our you know this is our fourth episode now, right? Yeah. Episode. Yeah, yeah. And we're finishing off with this episode, the year 2021. Yeah. The inaugural year. The year. And in fact, we're recording this in the year 2022. Yeah, we're actually recording this on New Year's Day in 2022. And and we're finishing up. The the show is finishing up with 2021 as of today. So that seems that does seem very appropriate. Perfect. But uh and also apropos. Yeah. And also I like that word. Good use of the word apropos. It was apropos use of the word apropos. So the best. Well, happy new year. Yeah, man. Happy new year. Uh, Happy new year to you listener. This should be posted sometime in January. So it's not too late uh, for you to be hearing Mm -hmm. that yet again. We're, uh, we're wrapping up our, our top, our top movies of uh, 2021 here. What, what movies didn't we get to talk about this year? Were there were some movies? Uh, for one, I feel like we're going to circle back. Probably, you know, this is we started the podcast at the very end of 2021. I think odds are good that when we kind of hit a wall somewhere later down the line, we might circle back to this and cover some films because they're going to release all of the best movies. You know, what the last they've already released in the last week of right. the of the year, and we have no access to them. So we're all going to see them the first couple months of 2022. So we'll probably want to circle back. But uh, what what Chad? Uh, what, what movies do you think were the best that you've seen this year that we that we that you have seen that we didn't get a chance to really talk about? I've picked uh, three movies besides the movies that we've already talked about to round up kind of our my my personal best films it's the best film podcast so we talk about the best films Mm -hmm. and so i'll go i'll start with my number three well let me say this you know my favorite movie is dune for the year that's no secret so i'm not (laughs) going to include that in this list and also i might put pig on my top would you i pig 
I might do it, but I'm not for this list since we've already talked about Dune, we've already talked about Pig. I'm not going to talk about mm-hmm. those. But besides those, uh, starting with number three for 2021, I'm going to go Green Knight you, or the Legend of Sir Gawain, Green Knight, or what? It, what Sir Gawain, Sir Gawain, Ga- and the Green Knight, Gawain. Uh, you know, I haven't watched that yet. I almost watched it yesterday, but I was in party mode. I didn't want to put on anything. I was partying with myself. You know, it's just me. Uh, but I still didn't want to put anything. Yesterday being New Year's yeah, Eve. I, yeah, I didn't want to put on anything that involved any sort of like, you know, I got to keep track of a new plot. I, you know, I put on movies I'd seen before. But uh, it does look great. I had to watch it twice. The first, I had some expectations that I shouldn't have brought in with it. My second viewing, I really, really appreciated it. It's very unique. There's, uh, it's a little bit artsy fartsy for artsy fartsy sake. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're playing with fonts. You've picked a fun font, <laughs> I, I guess. I, I don't think that that's very artistic. But so <clears throat> there's a couple of like surface level things mm-hmm. that I think could have gone without. But I'm really glad that A24 is putting out these movies. Yeah, I'd love to see more of this kind of stuff. This ancient, not ancient, I guess medieval, medieval tale legend that's told pretty fairly pretty they haven't updated much of it and it's still pretty compelling and the director did a great job i find lowry uh kind of hit or miss like i I turned off a ghost story i know a lot of people would think that's sacrilegious but i just found it so depressing and dull but i really loved ain't them body saints and i thought old man the gun was pretty good as well so I think that uh, this is definitely on my list of things to check out, and uh, I'll I'll have more to say next time we circle back to 2021, I guess. I think you, Travis, will enjoy it, and it's a movie, because my expectations were off a bit, I'm going to say something that's not a spoiler that I think would help with anybody sitting down to watch it. Okay. It's the story of, like, it's a moral testing of Gawain. Right. I don't know why I thought it would be something different, but when I first watched (laughs) it, I didn't have that quite in mind, and I was like, what's going on here? Still enjoyed it, but I had to do a rewatch to really appreciate it nice but that'd be my number three right. green knight how about you do you have you do you make a top three i did Travis? i made it i made a top three and i just looked just now before we started up here and i realized that my my number three technically you know like imdb it was a it was a weird year 2020 2021 um so imdb actually lists this movie as a 2020 movie but it wasn't released until january of 2021 and I'm talking about supernova starring colin firth and stanley tucci just a lovely lovely film both of these are really strong actors and they and they play a couple dealing with one of their one of them has a terminal illness and they are uh like going across country in england because stanley tucci plays an american but he's moved to england to be with his husband and it's just a beautiful just love story end of life kind of love story really i mean it's heavy it's sad and but uh it's supernova. it's powerful stuff supernova if you if you like these two actors it's a classic two-hander. I can't, you know, I, I was very moved by it. This uh, writer-director Harry McQueen, who hasn't done that much else, I don't think, uh, outside of it. Um, this is his uh, his second f- second film. It's really good. I really like Supernova. Again, like not a, it's not, uh, you know, it's not a special effects extravaganza or anything. It's like literally two guys in an RV for most of the movie. But <laughs> I thought it was really good. I have to check that out. I've heard about it, but I have not seen it yet. I think it must be streaming somewhere because I see it pop up on one of my streaming services. Yeah, it's one of like six movies called Supernova. So keep an oh, eye. Maybe I'll, not. I'll make sure. It's maybe I'll right, pop on some right trash one. sci-fi movie. Going, what is Travis talking about? Still, <laughs> right. like, she's not even in it. Uh, <laughs> like one of the Earth's core. All of a sudden, I didn't mention that. 
<laughs> number two for me, I'm going. Uh, number three was Green Knight. Card counter. Travis, I've I've drawn a complete blank here. Who's the director of Card Counter? Uh, oh, it's, he's it's like Paul my Schrader. favorite. Paul Schrader. I know. Well, the thing, the thing is that I don't know about you, but I want to say Paul Schaefer every fucking time I say Paul Schrader, which is a very different famous person. Yeah, the David Letterman guy. Uh, yeah. yeah um, no, different. this is not the but David Paul Letterman Schrader's guy. Paul Card Counter. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, yeah, Taxi Driver. Really loved First Reformed, which I know you also love, Travis. That came out a couple years ago. Oh, it's and masterpiece. Card Counter is kind of the same movie. I think Paul Schrader likes to hit those same notes in pretty much bit. all his films. He just really likes this idea. <laughs> and uh, this one's no different. It's not as good as First Reform, but still uh, a great movie. I'm going to put it at my number two spot. Yeah, it's high. Um, again, like there's so many movies that are coming out and, and like not, not quite available easily to see. Like I'm not paying 20 bucks to rent that right now, so I'm going to have no. to keep waiting. You, you get access to different stuff in Europe. Uh, yeah, so. it's weird. We did, uh, they released Dune here like two, a month or two months before anybody else. I was like, hey, everybody, Dune's great back home. And everybody's like, well, out in the world did you see Dune? I, I won't give too much away about this one, except to say that like the one, it's got a lot of similarities to Supernova and that uh, <laughs> it actually, IMDb actually says it came out in 2019, but it wasn't this? given a, it wasn't given a release until, until again, January of 2021. So okay. it's like this weird thing that the movie is technically a 2019 movie, but nobody, unless you were at like the Telluride Film Festival or something, you didn't get <laughs> right. eyes on it until until 2021. And that movie is Our Friend, starring Jason Segel and Casey Affleck and Isabella Kai. This was, I'm sorry, Dakota Johnson. It's a true story. It's it's uh, based on a on a book uh, uh, that a guy wrote, and it's very unique because the guy wrote this book about his wife dying and how his best friend came to live with them and stay with them during her passing. So it's actually like it's in some ways it's about you know the death of a spouse, and so again very fucking heavy. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, I'm really the spousal death picks? this year. <laughs> I don't know, there, but <laughs> there is some similarities between these movies, admittedly. But uh, I guess heavy subject matter can make for some pretty intense watching. But it's true. It's a, I mean, it's a beautiful story about friendship um, between the three of them, not just not just the two men. And it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's extremely emotional. Jason Siegel, if you, I, I'm a big, big Jason Siegel fan. I, I, I really, really, really love his work. Comedic, dramatic. I think the guy is. Uh, one of the more underrated actors I can think of. And this is really, really good drama from him. So if you like Jason Siegel at all, I would strongly recommend this movie. It was really good. Our Friend. Very interesting. Our Friend. Yeah, no, I haven't seen of it. I don't think I've even, I haven't seen it. I don't think I've even heard of it. So I'm writing these down. I got to check these out. Both of our, so, so far, we have not had a, a, any overlap. And so far, no. neither of us have seen the movies that we are also same. No. Well, it helps that I keep on picking movies that were not from 2021. Yeah, we 2021, and you're like, ah, oh, this one's not 2021. <laughs> oh, what's the point? Okay. My. <laughs> it was released in 2021. It's 2021. So, how do you find that out? I, I look at IMDb and I see the year on IMDb. Do you have some like, other kind of resource that. Yeah. So, if I look at the year on IMDb and then I scroll down to the actual release date. Um, which is ah, uh, to scroll low, down. under details. Mm -hmm, under, mm -hmm. Yeah, under details, I'll have the actual release date. So like IMDb will consider the movie to be whenever it was first premiered. And that 
usually is at a film festival. Some film festival that, that no can one can see. Often be yeah, a full year or so before anyone actually has access to it. Right. Uh, as was the case with both of these movies. But I promised my my number one movie of 2021. I just double checked it. It, it literally is a 2021 <laughs> film. No one could deny that. Okay. Uh, well, I'll go with my number one first, and I don't think you've seen this one either. I think we're going to have a clean sweep on wow. no overlap for our lists. Came out, I just looked at the details and IMDb, came out in April 2021, so we're good, April 30th, 2021 in the United States. It's Zhang Yimou's latest, Cliff Walkers. It's espionage, it's intrigue. Zhang Yimou is one of my favorite directors. Top, Maybe we'll do a top list of directors. But this is the guy that did uh, Hero, House of Flying Daggers. I think oh, he directed okay. the Chinese Olympics when they, like, they, he directed the show that was a, mm-hmm. a pretty famous thing. But his movies are just, well, they're, they're beautiful to look at. And typically, they're very heartfelt, uh, uh, just human stories struggling with, and it's also typically struggling with some kind of government oppression, something's going on in the country. He doesn't typically make big, grandiose statements. It's just we follow these people, individuals trying to live their lives. And Cliff Walker is based on a true story of these Chinese spies trying to rescue another Chinese spy that has seen kind of the atrocities that the Japanese have done. And so they have to go undercover. And if you like anything like espionage, anything like undercover work or double-crossing, triple-crossing, You'll really enjoy this movie. It's a great, great political intrigue film. And Zhang Yimou, I guess, just knocks it out of the park again. But that was it for me. So I'm going to hit Cliff Walkers at, uh, at the, the top spot. How about you? What, what holds that coveted spot for you, Travis? Well, you know, IMDb says it was a 2021 film. It was officially released in 2021. It was nominated for Best Screenplay in last year's Oscars, though. I'm talking what's about all the this? white... What's all this? Yeah. <laughs> You're picking all these well, I'm sorry. It came out all these asterisks on your picks. <laughs> it came out in 2021. Damn it! I'm talking about the White Tiger. Uh, this movie by Ramin Bahraini. Uh, man, this movie is so good. Have you heard of this, The White Tiger? Yeah. Uh, yeah, have you heard of it? It was, it was nominated for best adapted screenplay last year, and no one's even watched it. On uh, the other podcast that I have, Cinema Nine, I, you know, I've, I've pushed it on my co-host. That they haven't watched it either. Uh, no, I, I haven't seen I, it. I don't this know, doesn't have anything to do with the Tiger King, does it? Or the what's no, that guy no, like? God no. Uh, and that might be what turned some people off of it because it was a, a Netflix film with the word Tiger in this title that came out in the yeah. year 2021. I could see that turning some people away from it. It has nothing whatsoever to do with that. What it is, it's it's um, it's about a poor Indian dude, and uh, it, it's 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 part in. I'm not sure what language. I mean, it's an American movie. So much of it, if not most of it, is in English, but there's also a lot of Hindi in there as well. So be prepared to to read some subtitles. But it is about watching some guy just climb, scrape, claw his way out of the bottom no matter what. Like, he seems like a sweet, good man, but, like, you realize that, like, this guy will do anything to escape his circumstances. And it is a really powerful, really... It's one of those movies I watched it. I'm like, oh man, people are gonna fucking love this. People are gonna be talking about this. This is gonna be like, this is this is one of the movies of the year. And like, no one, no one watched it. No one talks about it. And it blew me away. The direction, the really? acting, the story. I can't recommend the White Tiger enough. I think it's on Netflix. It's everyone's got access yeah. to it. It's it's I'll really check that out. really good. 
So, yeah, I'm looking at this. It says White Tiger 2021 drama film, but then it also says it was nominated for last year's Academy Awards for Best Adapted right. Screenplay. Well, so what's because that? last year's, because of COVID, last year they and this year they've adjusted the, the usual time frames that they accept oh, right. films in. So right. actually last year went from like the previous Oscar to, I want to say, mid-February or March, something pretty late. All of those okay. movies were up for grabs. And then this year, uh, it's only from March to, I think, February or something. It's not a full year. There's like a month or two cut out this year. Obviously, Pig is my favorite movie of the year, which is why I covered right. that. or We covered that a couple episodes ago. And I have plenty more movies to watch. I have chosen The Suicide Squad as my favorite comic book movie, superhero movie of the year. Although... Spider-Man No Way Home might be better. It's certainly it's it's really different movie in that it's you know it's so much of a culmination of other films and I don't I don't I'm not going to get any spoilers on on No Way Home. But uh I do think that if I if we circle back and we do a best superhero film I again for this year <laughs> that would be the one that I do and it's again amazing to me and anyone that knows me that I would choose Suicide Squad. Uh, over the many Marvel films of this year, but because I'm just a not a man. DC guy, I'm a Marvel man through and through. But this is a different. But Suicide Suicide Squad is a different kind of DC. I just watched Spider Man No Way Home. It's in theaters right now over here, and I had a great time. I haven't, like most people, been in theaters very often, and mm-hmm. I can't honestly remember a time, except in Spider Man No Way Home, where I was sitting in a theater. And something would happen on the screen and the whole theater erupts in cheers and, and screams. And it was a great experience, a great movie and a great experience. I was really glad I went to the theater to see it. That is the best. I'll never forget when, when Cap grabbed Molyneux during uh, oh, yeah. uh, Endgame. Like the audience just lost its shit completely. But when I saw Spider-Man No Way Home, a bunch of vegetables. Everybody around me was really dead, just silent. Oh. Yeah. I mean, li- literally, it was like it, I went on opening day. I went on Thursday night like at 4.30 in the afternoon. So I was one of the very first viewings in America. And uh, the crowd was just dead silent the whole time. Oh, it's too bad. We we had at least, uh, and I'm sure you can know, I'm sure having seen the film, you know where those spots are. But there was at least, I want to say four or five times where people were cheering out loud. And it got me excited. I wouldn't have cheered myself, but I find myself cheering at things that I may not have cheered at. And it makes the movie just all the more exciting. Maybe remember, oh yeah, this is why we used to go to theaters to watch movies. <laughs> well, I promise the theater wasn't dead silent because there was one guy in the back yelling every time. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> and that guy was me. <laughs> did you grow up with comics, comic books? Yeah. Yeah, I very much did. I grew up watching, I mean, I grew up uh, reading a ton of Marvel so even back then, you said you're through and through Marvel man. Yeah, I was always a Marvel man. I, I I got really into the Ghost Rider comics when they were rebooted in the early '90s. Uh, I was really into X Men uh, for a long run. So I, those were the two books I read most religiously. Spider Man, somewhat the McFarlane years. I was pretty into those, but but mostly mostly Ghost Rider and and the X Men. How is it with Marvel DC comic book fans? Are you you say you're you kind of you're betraying yourself by picking the the Suicide Squad, or you you feel like shame for your fellow uh, Marvel compatriots, or how does that work? Like I remember back in the day, I had a Nintendo, and then some kid has a Sega, and I'm like, what Sega? That's who who likes Sega? And then Sega's like Nintendo, what? And I feel like 
the same, like we've got Marvel is the Nintendo and then we've got this DC Sega over here. Is it somewhat comparable to that? Uh, maybe. I, I mean, I'm, I like Star Wars and I like Star Trek. I like Star Wars more than Star Trek, but but I like both. And I think you can like both. I go like Trek both. over Wars. So, I mean, I, I've always been a huge Marvel guy, but but made the exception for Batman. Uh, like a lot of people, I, I, I like Batman. Who doesn't like Batman? But that's one true. of the things that's interesting to me about Suicide Squad is that I was wholly unfamiliar with almost all of these characters. I'd heard of Polka Dot Man. I'd heard of a couple others. But, uh, you know, other than really Harley Quinn, I was pretty much unfamiliar. I hadn't seen any of these people in action, which is, I mean, like, as if there's some huge line of division between DC and Marvel. They've always traditionally borrowed from each other left and right. Some of the same authors and artists going back and forth. Like, I, I don't I don't know why I make the distinction. It's it's really kind of uh, arbitrary. But I guess once you immerse, these things are universal. They're, you know, they're universes. So once you immerse yourself right. in one, one universe, I guess I'm going to try and learn as much as I can about the Marvel universe. and. And DC just kind of uh, just never really appealed to me, mostly because of Superman. I think I've just never really cared for Superman. Just too overpowered. Um, yeah, too central to the whole DC universe for someone that the stakes are always so low to me. I, and I'm Superman is kind of how I know superheroes because of the Superman movies. Not mm-hmm. not having read the comic books, I know the Superman movies and I know the Batman movies. So Marvel, when Marvel starts making movies, I feel like, who are these guys? Rip off superheroes? But we didn't know, I didn't know about X-Men. I mean, I knew about all these guys, but I grew up with Superman and Batman. I mean, the Michael Keaton Batman and the Christopher Reeve Superman. I think that when the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies started coming out, no one was thrown by that because Spider-Man is, even then was popular enough. Like he transcended Marvel in terms of, of popularity. It was when Iron Man came out that I'm like, oh, now you're doing something very, very interesting to me. I mean, I love Spider-Man, don't get me wrong, but not just, I mean, even before I even saw it, which I still think Iron Man from 2010 is, is a fantastic movie, but even before I saw it, I was like, this is uh, this is something wholly different that's happening here, that, that they're, they're not doing Hulk because they've done some Hulk movies. This isn't Hulk, this isn't Spider-Man, this is fucking Iron Man. Iron Man, about, yeah. you know, we think now top tier, but he was not. In 2010, right. uh, a Marvel character that people were that familiar with outside of Marvel fans. So I pretty, don't think uh, I even knew. I I knew the song "I Am Iron Man." <laughs> like I don't even know if that had anything to do with it. It was in the movie, but I didn't know it, the first thing about Iron Man. And I'll say that the very first Iron Man is my favorite Marvel movie. It's still I it's still one of the very movie. best. But we're not talking about Marvel today. We're talking about. <laughs> The Suicide the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Let's let's get into it. This this movie is uh, I guess an indirect sequel to the first Suicide Squad from 20 was it 2015 2016. 2012 is it? 2016 is that what it was? We get three actors from that movie. We get Harley we get um Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn, we get Viola Davis playing Amanda Waller. And we get some dude uh, playing Captain Boomerang. Uh, sorry, uh, what's his name? I can look that up. Jai Captain Courtney, Boomerang, is that him? Played by Jai Courtney, yeah. Jai Courtney. So, and oh, I and of course, Joel, Rick... Joel Kinnaman coming. Yeah, it's yeah, Rick Flagg, yeah, yeah. Joel Kinnaman coming back. Rick Flagg. I forgot about him. 
Uh, so I think these are the only ones that came back. But other than like you, you would not need to see the first Suicide Squad for this movie to make sense at all. Right. I would say, please don't see the first Suicide Squad. <laughs> so the first Suicide Squad 2016 is the reason I didn't watch the Suicide Squad until you picked it for your movie. So I thought, well, I guess I'll watch it. But I hate it. <laughs> kind of had to. Suicide Squad with a passion. I think I it, I hate it with a passion. I thought it was horrible. And then they came out with Birds of Prey. Let me Which ask you this. It's not terrible. It's not good. I didn't think it would was good, at least in my It's opinion. trying way too hard to uh, continue themes and stuff from Suicide Ugh. Squad. You know, the first one, like it's really like, it's it's uh, that's more of a direct sequel than yeah. the Suicide Squad from 2021. Is you, uh, So you're a Marvel comic book guy. And I am. you're a Marvel movie guy. You like the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, yeah. I haven't read the comics in, in years, to be to be honest. At this point, I'm more into the MCU. How do you feel about the DC Universe? Cinematic uh, Universe. I mean, the strongest DC films are the standalone films like this, which I kind of consider a standalone film, even though we just talked about it being a sequel. And uh, Joker and, and Shazam. I love Shazam. I think Shazam is a fantastic movie, but it's really not connected to anything else in the DC universe at this point. Let me go over them real quick. Is is well? Is is Joker part of the DC universe? Isn't Jared Leto part of the DC universe? <laughs> I don't know that there is a DC universe. That there is a DCCU the way that there's an MCU. Okay. Like I don't okay. like a, people talk about it, but DC at this point has come out and said that like the connections between their films are. Are, they're tenuous. I mean, um, as I understand it, uh, the Batman, uh, what's his name? Um, Matthew Vaughn. As I understand it, one of the things that he, one of his conditions for making the Batman was like, this is this is going to be standalone. This is not going to be connected to other DC properties. So it's there isn't a specific one to, to address, which makes it harder to address that because there's so much unevenness in these DC films okay. that some of them are fantastic and some of them, like I. I hated both Wonder Woman movies. I thought they both sucked. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, I think you were ahead of the curve on that one. Because when the first Wonder Woman came out, everybody was lauding it. There's some good action sequences, and it was a fun theater experience. But on revisiting, I didn't find it anything to be excited about. Decent, good music. I feel the same way, and I feel like we liked it because we were surprised to like At least for me, I was surprised <laughs> that a DC movie could be kind of good. But revisiting it, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's that good. It really falls apart after this, like in the mid-second act. It, it just has it a really strong first act. Absolutely. You're right about that. So in 2013, Zack Snyder does Man of Steel. Which is, uh, you know, it's okay. I thought that was okay. It's okay. Then we had Batman versus Superman in 2016. Again, Zack Snyder. I mean, it's just like flaming garbage. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. And then Suicide Squad it. that same year, which did you like? Did you, no, no. You didn't I, like I saw it in theaters and there was, there was one character that I liked and that was it. I saw it in theaters too, and I I literally could not believe what I'm watching. I, this is tra- absolutely. Well, you, you know what happened with I like that, David right? You, you, you know I what don't. happened with that. Well, David Ayer has been struggling to get uh, the rights back, just like Zack Snyder got Justice League's rights back, so he could recut it himself. Because these fucking idiots at the studio they they liked the cut of the preview of Suicide Squad so much that they hired the preview company who these people had never edited a film before in their life. They just made previews. Uh, They hired them to cut the final cut of the film to make it look like the preview. 
Is that not insane? Like, what do they not, expect? I mean, to it, it, it is absolutely insane, but that is exactly, I didn't know that, but that That's makes feels so like much it. sense. Yeah. With how, it's like you're with watching that a giant preview. <laughs> oh, it was giant a preview. disaster. So then Wonder Woman comes out, and for me, I was like, okay, cool. We can, I guess, get a good DC movie. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. But, Uh, yeah, going back, I didn't. It turns out I don't like it. Then Justice League came out in 2017 again, Zack Snyder again. Huge I hated that. Yeah. Then we had Aquaman the next year. Which I hated. I thought, I I mean, I like James Wan okay. I hate that one as well. I hated it. Yeah. I think that there's some really good special effects in there. And I think that Patrick Wilson and, and Willem Dafoe are like, you know, like these are pretty good actors and stuff, but man, the movie just stunk. I, and I remember everyone talking about how great it was. I'm like, it's like two and a half hours or three hours <laughs> of just interminable fucking CG fights. I, I couldn't stand. I get, yeah. I got a good friend that absolutely loved it and he loved the costumes. And he loved, I'm like, well, did you see the costumes? It's like, that's my favorite part. I'm like, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like it. Silly. Shazam was next. You said you like Shazam. I I love Shazam. I could I can I'm excited for the sequel. I'll, I'm excited for Black Adam even okay. just because of Shazam. Um, that that seems like something they're actually building up. I think that Zachary, uh, what's his name, Zachary Levi makes a fantastic superhero. I I like the big kind of premise of like the little kid turning into an adult fun. and all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just found it a really fun, sweet movie. Then we had Birds of Prey the next year. Which is the sequel to, or it's it's Harley Quinn's movie. Yeah, or, I don't yeah. know what it is. I don't it's, know what it is. They they kind of mistakenly build it as Harley Quinn's movie because really it's another ensemble piece. You know, there's a ton of other uh, people, which I wouldn't have minded seeing some of them in the next in in the 2021 Suicide Squad. To be honest, but I thought I thought it was kind of bland. to Everybody else somehow uh, Harley Quinn. Well, I guess we'll get into it with Suicide Squad. So then the same year, at the end of the year, we get Wonder Woman 1984. So bad. Which. Here's Patty Jenkins again, which everybody said, yeah, she did a great job with Wonder Woman. I couldn't believe how bad that movie was. You know, they, Sorry they, for they, you who are listening and liking the DC Yeah, there's movies. probably a lot of people that would be like, oh, I love DC. Let's see what these guys have to say about the DC <laughs> Sorry, man. Movie, Listen, uh, I like the Suicide Squad. I, I, I guess I'm showing my cards. I liked the Suicide Squad, but Wonder Woman 1984 I thought was a travesty. I'm glad you liked that. I mean, when, when 1984 came out, they announced Patty Jenkins was gonna do a third wonder woman movie like days within it coming out and i'm like what is the reception even that good i mean i i i thought that movie was so bad on so many levels i mean yeah i was laughing i was i couldn't help myself but to laugh at the like all of what was supposed to be powerful moments i'm just laughing kind of pinching the bridge of my nose going what to me i I don't want to get too spoilery here but one of the things I love about science fiction and fantasy films is when you set up these rules, you set up these universes, limitations, whatever, and you stick to it. That's what nerdism is. Like <laughs> right. there has to we be take like note these... of that kind of stuff. Right. And so for her to suddenly like be able to do some power that she didn't previously possess or for the villain to be able to suddenly change his powers and be able to project them in ways that he wasn't able to project them before, like just because it served the plot. I'm like, this is know. insulting. This is insulting to me. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Wonder Woman 1984, insulting. Then this year, or 2021, we got the Zack Snyder cut. Zack Snyder released like a four-hour, however long that was. <sighs> yeah, which a lot of people loved. Um, I, I like. I, what do you think? I, there were a couple moments with the Flash specifically that I liked. Yeah. And then there was three hours of stuff that I was 
wondering how long is this going to go on? How long do I have to sit here? I was mesmerized that like certain things were cut out that didn't make sense. Like the whole Spider or the whole Superman versus Batman alternate future thing got cut oh, out. Yeah. Like, thank God, I hated all that. And then they plugged in a different thing at the end that was similar. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why would you you just fixed this? Why are you putting this in here? And they put in like these other things that just kind of seemed half finished. You know, I'm like, ah, just because you filmed it doesn't mean you had to put it in there. All right. My goodness. So Zack Snyder, I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder at all I'm, at this point. I'm hit or miss. I, I'm hit. I, mean, I think he's got. I think he's got his moments. I know it's. I know most something? people. Most people either like love him like he's Elon Musk, which I dislike <laughs> Elon Musk too, um, <laughs> or or they hate him. You know, like they're like you know they're like cinephiles yeah. and they hate him. And I'm I, I'm yeah. kind of in between. I think that he I think that he does have his moments and uh, his, his usefulness. Um, well, I'm the second group. Pretty, I, I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get sui- the the Suicide Squad. Yes. In 2021 with James Gunn, which is also a crossover from Marvel, the director yeah. of James Gunn. Yeah, this movie wouldn't exist had uh, right-wing provocateurs not tried their bestest to, to dethrone James Gunn for uh, airing too many political opinions they didn't agree with on Twitter. Is that why? I remember this. Oh, so, yeah, that's okay. exactly why. Can, can you take me through, right through this? Because I uh, here's what I remember. Something James Gunn, I totally forgot this until you just said this. He he tweeted something he shouldn't have tweeted or something. I, oh, what, what happened now? He tweeted something so, and he got fired? So James Gunn was really active on Twitter. He still kind of is. Actually, he liked a reply to one of my posts yesterday. I was very excited about very that. Very cool. I, All right. Yeah. I, well, I, I commented on something he posted. It's not like it came to mind. Anyways, um, so he's he's very active on Twitter and he always has been, but he was a lot more politically outspoken, uh, especially the first couple of years of the, of the Trump administration mm. and uh, was a, a very, very vocal critic of Trump and, and Trump's uh, policies and all that. And there is this guy named Mike Cernovich, Cernovich, call him Weird Mike. Uh, he's got a whole group of like right wing internet trolls and that kind of stuff people that are big fans of him um and they're and they're coming you know they're coming from a pretty extreme right wing i mean cernovich i'm not pronouncing his name right but i don't care far far right kind of guy okay and so they they searched through him and his group like searched through james gunn's tweets and found some tweets from like 2010 2005 like this you know like a long time ago right. when when everybody was an edge lord remember like the mid 2000s <laughs> when everybody was an edge lord and every joke was about rape and babies being dead oh, you know what no. i mean like it was just like oh, everybody no. was like as a culture everybody was like collectively kind of like pushing it further than it needed to go so he had a few tweets that were less than sensitive i mean about like sure. you know some some stuff that it, it, he made some gross inappropriate comments but that's that's what they were. They were gross, bad jokes. They were not, you know, they were not politically right. correct. Right. But the people who are supposedly not, cons- the people who are con- supposedly upset with the idea of political correctness were the ones that, um, you know, so, started plastering this stuff all over the internet. To what end? What was the point of it? Well, to- the, the point of this was to, was to humiliate oh, him. He's politically like, outspoken. Oh, okay. Because we're going to cancel politically outspoken or whatever. So so his political okay. enemies started smearing, uh, you know, start with, gotcha, with very gotcha, true gotcha. tweets that he had posted, but that were like literally a decade old. And right. the kind of stuff, he, the kind of jokes he wasn't making anymore. And, um, but and didn't so that he stuff get fired got then? And then he got fired from Disney because he was in the act from of Disney. prepping for, for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And he had just helped, he had helped produce Endgame and Infinity War. And uh, was on, you know, he was like the darling of, of Marvel in a lot of ways. And, and, right. and Disney 
unwisely responded to the backlash and fired him. And right. uh, Warner Brothers very wisely went, uh, we'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he got he signed on to, to do the Suicide Squad, which took several years. And during that time, the, the Fuhrer cooled down and cooler heads prevailed. And Disney realized that they had released their ca- released their cash cow to their competitors <laughs> and uh, made a mess. So did they did they hire him back? Is he going to do Guardians yes. 3? He, yeah, so, okay. He's, okay. they've been, they've been, yeah, he's written the script. As far as I know, they've even started filming. I think they started filming Guardians 3. So, so James Gunn is asked by Warner Brothers to make this film. And he says, yes, I will absolutely do it. I want you to do two things for me. He asked for, <clears throat> he asked for a few caveats. He asks, for instance, like, it must be an R-rated movie, which at the time, no, there hadn't been any R-rated movies. Um, the Joker came out while he was filming this. Um, I think DC Deadpool movies. was up. Yeah, already DC movies. Deadpool had already come out. So he asked for that. He asks that it be filmed in uh, Georgia so he could be close to his dying father, which his father actually ended up passing away uh, directly before filming. Uh, but still, it was shot in America and Panama as well. And then he asked also that he have free reign to kill anyone. <laughs> and he and they gave it to him. He could have killed he could have killed oh, no. Harley Quinn if you wanted to. He could have killed any character. He had free reign to 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 he's like, you know, I want the stakes to be high. I want to make sure that these characters are all on the chopping block. And they are. Okay. So he comes out with in 2021 the Suicide Squad. He finally he releases it. And to me, yeah. I I know I mentioned this before, but I already watched Suicide Squad. When I heard they're making mm. the Suicide Squad, I couldn't figure out I guess I assumed it was a sequel, but then I didn't really, it didn't look like a sequel. So I was a little bit confused and they were saying, yes, the suicide, the suicide squad, this one's featuring (laughs) Pete Davidson, which I don't have any, I I just, it's not, he's not my kind of comedy comedian, I guess. I'm not a big Pete Davidson fan, no offense. (laughs) And there's this guy like, who is like TikTok famous for doing like a German accent or or YouTube famous or something. And he's going to be, he's (laughs) Flula yeah. Borg is going to be in it. Flula Borg, it, yeah. And I'm going, I don't want to watch this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was sold to be very poorly, I guess. I think that they weren't sure how to advertise it. And you know, it was a box, it was a box office bomb. I'm sorry to say it uh, did not make the money back that was spent on it. Although I think that a finger can be directly pointed at HBO Max. I watched this on HBO Max when it came out. I haven't, you know, like I said at the, at the top of this episode, I haven't, I've been avoiding theaters as much as I can. I've gone to theaters maybe I think three times this year, which is three more times than I, than I probably should have. Um, but this movie didn't make its money back, and I think it and I think it could have and should have under ordinary circumstances. Yeah, I would say this is my. Oh, we read all the DC Universe movies, and this is my favorite one so far. All right, I'm glad that you liked it. You know, I I knew you would like it. I knew you'd like it. I think if it was going for the PG-13, I mean, it sounds trite, but it was refreshing to have an R rating. I guess I'm tired of this yeah. weird. I mean, these PG-13 movies are just as violent as the R movies, except they cut away from everything that would be interesting about it. <laughs> People are dying left and right in Marvel movies and you just don't really see it. Right. And this, this definitely drives it home. He he said in another interview, James Gunn, that he, this, this is a war movie and there's no way to make it without oh, making, you know, making it violent. So the movie starts off and we're greeted with 
Hello, I'm Johnny Cash, and Folsom Prison Blues starts playing, which is a very appropriate song to kick off any movie. Also, not the first time that Gunn has used Johnny Cash to start a movie. He, he didn't direct Dawn of the Dead from 2004, but he did write it, and I bet that it was his call to, to start that movie with Johnny Cash as well. We're introduced to Michael Rooker as Savant, the world's greatest racquetball player, who uh, sits in a uh, outdoor cell by himself bouncing this ball around until he kills this bird and i and, and i love seeing this movie start with michael rooker in it i mean michael rooker is uh such a standby such like a he is the lucky rabbit's foot of 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 james gunn you know what i mean like he he's he's been in all of his stuff so it makes a lot of sense for uh for the mo- movie to start with him and his long luxuriant blonde hair uh we're then told that he uh all he has to do is do a uh this mission and it'll knock 10 years off his sentence we don't really know how long his sentence is but if he disobeys this mission if he agrees to do it and disobeys then there's a chip in his head that will blow up very you know escape from new york kind of style which is the same same idea as the is suicide squad Viola Davis is getting these prisoners together and you've got to follow her orders or she's going to blow your head up with these chips. Right. She plays Amanda Waller, who is from the comic books. And I, and that's her superpower is being able to flick a switch and pop your head off. Apparently Um, (laughs) we're introduced to the commanding officer, Rick flag, Joel Kinnaman, uh, more beefed up than I think he's been in any film, which is saying a lot. I mean, he's just a fucking tank in this movie. And he's ordinarily like a, he used to be a really scrawny, skinny dude when he first started uh, working, but he's like a action hero now, I guess. And we're told that uh, Suicide Squad is a uh, a name they don't like. Their Task Force X. It includes giant a giant weasel and Pete Davidson, which are two different characters. Uh, don't you know? Don't get them confused. And <laughs> and we have a giant American flag that they're walking through in their slow motion, very classic James Gunn introduction. How do you feel about the this introduction to this film? It definitely classic James Gunn. And I, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm uh, tentatively on board at this point. Again, the weasel looks ridiculous, and uh, this German guy. I, I don't know how seriously I'm supposed to take it at this point. <laughs> and you'll learn soon that the answer is not very seriously. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're brought onto the plane and uh, we're given yet another classic James Gunn standby. Nathan Fillion, the actor, shows up as he shows up in every other James Gunn work almost. Uh, if James Gunn is making a movie, either Nathan Fillion or Michael Rooker or both are going to be in. It. You go Michael Rooker or Nathan Fillion? Oh, I go Michael Rooker all the way. I love Michael Rooker. Yeah, I'm I'm a Michael Rooker man myself. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, I like Nathan Fillion, and he's playing Savant here. Nathan Fillion is playing TDK. We'll learn what that means later. And uh, we're introduced to this administrative like support staff, in particular this guy John, played by Steve Ag, a, a big kind of blonde bearded fellow who has been in uh, also I think almost every single james gunn film since 2010's super which is also really good they're taking bets to see who will uh die first in the suicide squad while uh, on the uh on the plane they're kind of getting to know each other uh we're introduced to harley quinn she so she she shows up in her get up right like looking looking pretty amazing and uh, I love this moment where she's talking to Flula Borg and he's like, oh, yeah, Americans all love my accent. She's like, oh, because we don't got none. 
<laughs> yeah, that was good. How is it possible that Harley Quinn, or maybe it's maybe it's because of Margot Robbie? How how has, or is it Robbie or Robbie? I am so relieved that you just said that because I, <laughs> quick aside here, I have been saying Margot Robbie for fucking years and I was hanging out with my family over, uh, over Christmas and my brother and his fiance were, were talking about, I think we were talking about this movie and they said Margot Robbie and I said Margot Robbie and, and like, they kind of, you know, they know I'm a film buff and they're like, oh, is it Robbie? I'm like, well, shit, I actually... You're right. It's spelled Robbie. I gotta, I gotta check it out. And I looked into it, and I've been this, but it's Robbie. It's clearly Robbie. It's spelled with it's two Robbie? B's. Yeah, I don't know why. What a strange I, thing. I don't, yeah, I've said Robbie too. I think it's because of Margot. Margot. You know what I mean? Like, Ro, yeah, you want to Margot Robbie. You want to like continue this alliteration of the of the long O. <laughs> uh, well, somehow though, the character of Harley Quinn, I didn't care for Suicide Squad. I'm not sure if anybody did. Birds of Prey is is better but that's not saying much how is it possible that harley quinn has still how has she transcended these awful movies well i think that she has been the best part of both of those movies and i think that there is a subset of the population that has appreciated come to appreciate her in a whole new way through robbie's performance robbie's performance that they hadn't really uh, been attached to her before and i i would like to to take this moment which i actually meant to do earlier uh, and retract something i'd said before last episode i'd said that she was kind of shoehorned in here actually i take that back she actually carries half of this movie for the first half of the film we have an ensemble piece in the a plot and she's just doing her own thing in the B plot for the first half of the film. And she carries it actually pretty well until they're reunited. And then she ends up serving some really crucial roles. So I, I, I'd like to you know, with, take a step back from my previous statement that she doesn't serve a huge function in this movie. I appreciate that. An official retraction. It's an official best official. film podcast with Chad and Travis retraction. That's good. This movie, I think, is the best. I mean, it's the best movie that she's in. But I, this movie gives her the most time to shine and... Yeah, I think that uh, you you definitely get the sense that she's got free reign here. It seems like she's right. and, and and enjoying the role. Now Harley Quinn, I did I did watch the the old Batman cartoon. Did you ever watch yeah. that Batman cartoon back in the nineties? Yeah, with the excruciating voice that she had. Yeah, Mister J, <laughs> Mister J, she's from. That's where she originated. She wasn't originated in the comic books. She started in that animated series. I guess I'm just glad that Jared Leto's Joker is not in this. I think we're all glad that Jared Leto is nowhere near this. Who made that? Who even thought? Did anybody even think when they said, hey, we're casting Jared Leto? And you remember when they were putting pictures out of the Joker before the movie came out? I think everybody was saying, this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this urban Joker that he went with didn't work. But we're we're blissfully uh, spared any of that in this. They don't even mention him. We don't even get it. Uh, instead, we get Weasel, which I find uh, fascinating. Motion captured by Sean Gunn, James Gunn's younger brother. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Pete Pete Davidson's asking if it's a dog. Nathan Fillion's like <laughs> they're like debating what it is, and like Weasel's harmless except for that he's killed twenty seven children. Like Jesus, what are they expecting to confront a bunch of children on this mission? Because what? purposes he got to serve and the answer is not much they get dropped into the water um and the weasel immediately starts having some issues he has no idea how to swim no one's checked on it savant actually saves him saves his life we think that he's dead and weasel's pronounced dead in the moment but uh savant brings him to shore which will work out well for him later but this whole operation 
is a disaster. It's a disaster from the second they've even started. Mostly because of Blackguard. Um, P- Pete Davidson comes up and like starts shouting to the army, like, "Hey, I'm the one who called you. We have a deal, right?" And then they blow up his face. <laughs> oh, and uh, you know. This is I, so part of me was like, oh, thank God he's dead already. You know, like we don't have to deal with him <laughs> in the rest of this movie. I, I, I don't like him as an actor. I don't like him at all. And I don't want to dislike him as much as I do because I don't want to fall into that <laughs> trap that so many dudes seems to be into these days where they're just like, Ugh, Pete Davidson, I don't like him. You're like, why? You're like, I don't know. I never seen any of his stuff. You know, <laughs> you know but there's just something about him that. I think it's a fact that he's so famous just for being famous. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't seem to yeah. do all that much, but he's, he must be a nice and funny guy to have so many popular famous friends. Yeah. But he dies right away. So here the person I'm kind of, I'm not admit, I guess I'm admitting this now. I'm I'm dreading to watch. Yeah. He dies right away. So I think right away. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't just die. I mean, like, again, like his face is just fucking like, removed. It's like caved in. It is brutal. It's a very gory thing that they return to later to give us another look at. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's a fucking fiasco. The The entire uh, Malto Corta army is here. We learned that TDK stands for the Detachable Kid. And <laughs> Nathan Fillion's arms just kind of float around so he can start slapping at people. <laughs> His arms pop off and there's like bones sticking out. Like his arms like disgustingly pop off. Yeah. And yeah, they don't, they aren't strong. They no. just kind of float over towards someone and like. Like bother them. Like you just brush. Yeah. You, <laughs> what is this hand? Uh, what? <laughs> and the, the image of him like standing far away trying to like, you can see he's like using his arms, but you can't see his arms. Uh, and then then things really go to shit when uh, Mongol, which is like this orange woman who might be a goddess of some kind. We don't really know. She uh, is super strong and she jumps on this helicopter thinking that she's going to take it out. But instead the helicopter goes wild and it ends up crashing. It kills her. It kills Captain Boomerang. Right after that, Javelin gets taken out. Uh, he gets shot up. He's going to die kind of slowly. TDK's arms get blown apart and he's has a bad time with that. Savant is watching all this like, oh, fuck. And then he has like panic and starts to run away. Uh, obviously, I was sold something that this movie isn't. And I don't know how. I guess I did know there's other people in it. I did know Idris Elba's in it. I did know John Cena's in it. Mm-hmm. But these other people who I thought were going to be the stars of the movie, I, I mean, they were interviewing like at the talk. They did the talk show circuit. I think they were trying <laughs> yeah. to sell it like, hey, yeah. these are the guys that are in it. Right. And it, what, are we at the 10 minute mark? And they're not dead. even barely. I mean, this is it's a big Janet Leigh uh, Lee in uh, in Psycho. You know, it's a big it's it's a big bait and switch. We're like, oh, Pete Davidson, super famous individual. Oh, his he's dead. <laughs> you know, okay, um, he's not around. Same thing with Flula Borg, and same which, thing with Michael Rooker as Michael Rooker swims away. It's very very surprising that Amanda Waller. You know, she threatens him. She seems not happy that uh, she has to do it, but she blows up his head. And I was most shocked by that because, I mean, again, like Michael Rooker and his blood and brains in the water form Warner Brothers Pictures Presents. And I'm like, well, that's cool, but you would have expected a lot more Rooker in a gun movie. But uh, but that's not the way it goes. We learned then that there is a team, two, and that since the uh, the soldiers occupied are all occupied in the South Beach with uh, with team one, uh, team team two gets a clear entrance on the North beach and blood sport is leading them. And we get Jim Carroll bands, the people who died and the title title card and then credits. 
This is Idris Elba as Bloodsport. Yes, Idris Elba as Bloodsport, and we get gory pans by the bodies of everyone who's passed away already in the film as part of the introduction. So this is this is the problem I have with the movie. It's not it's not an overwhelming problem, but and we we mentioned a little bit with the Godzilla episode, and I and this is why I have a hard time exactly putting a point on my issue. But we watch a movie like Godzilla or a, a really any superhero movie now. And there's just wanton destruction. Yeah. Buildings falling, the body count, who knows what the body count is. But usually in superhero movies, they're faceless, kind of nate, like a, you know, you just imagine who knows how many people died in, you know, these Avengers movies. Sure. Know, just yeah. tons of them. But here we're made to care for characters, and then it feels like they unnecessarily or just violently kill these characters that we're supposed to care for. And we're supposed to also laugh about it a little bit. <laughs> this is a uh, direct, I mean, if it's not deliberately influenced, it's got to be at least subconsciously influenced by um, the big scene in Deadpool 2 when the whole team dies in one go. It's a very similar moment. And, and, yeah. it's, and it's all played for comedy. Yeah, it's, it's, this, is, uh, this yeah. is all, this is brutal, bloody violent comedy here this is which i can see that not necessarily sitting right with some folks <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'm glad you said deadpool because that's right that like deadpool the thing about deadpool, it's there's a cynicism to deadpool that is also very present here yeah and even more so here because we're dealing with villains right like michael ricker's head explodes but what pete davis's head explodes yeah. michael ricker's head explodes these people were supposed to care about just brutally murdered and then like you said, his blood forms the credits, and it's like, this is a disrespect. <laughs> I don't know. It seems strange to say, but I was made to care about this character, and then you, on purpose, slaughtered yeah. him, and yeah. now you're making me laugh about it. There's a bird that per perches on his head and kind of eats at his brains. It's <laughs> Which like, is well, very, okay, now. It's very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's that, yeah, I, that, I didn't care for that, the cynicism of, of that. And they do it often. There's, there's, a, there's a several more times. At which maybe we'll get to where I was like, man, uh, do you want me to care about these characters or not? I can see that you know not I mean? sitting like, with you, but I think that's this. I mean, like at one point, Flag says suicide is like our thing. You know, like the, the movie is you got to expect going in that there's going to be a lot of death. It's called Suicide Squad. You're going to lose characters. You don't know who you're going to lose. <laughs> and the, some of my favorite characters, I have three favorite characters in this movie. Only two of them make it out. I, it's, which is actually better than I would have predicted going in. My, the, my favorite characters that make it out are King Shark and Ratcatcher 2. I, I love both of them. But I, my favorite is Polka Dot Man. I love Polka Dot. These like segue scenes where they, it says three days earlier in like cleaning foam on the toilet. A lot of this stuff is practical. Like there's a ton of practical effects in the movie, including some of these uh, these words, including the, the three days earlier and cleaning foam on the toilet, the blood sport is cleaning. He's cleaning uh, the cafeteria in the prison. He's a janitor, basically. And we're told, we learned that he was trained since birth by his assassin father, and he's in prison for putting Superman in the hospital with a kryptonite bullet. That's a movie I would like to see. Yeah, now that is very interesting. I would be totally down for a blood sport prequel that features this this showdown between him and Superman. That would be pretty cool. I had heard reading up on this that the one of the original ideas was to have Superman be the the enemy that the Suicide the Squad villain. is going up against. <laughs> well, I'm glad they went with Starro. We'll get to Starro later. <laughs> Starro. 
Bloodsport is told by Waller that he has a visitor who turns out to be his daughter. Um, she's in trouble because she stole a style watch. Have you ever heard of a style watch? No, I, I didn't even know watch. what it was. They were talking about it. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, but he's giving her advice on how to steal better. He's not mad that she stole it. She's just, just mad that she got caught. They had this big fuck you moment. And then she tells him it's embarrassing to have him as a father. But it turns out that Waller has, you know, she's she's threatening Bloodsport. He's, he's got to join the Suicide Squad or his daughter will go to this prison, this Belle Reve prison that they're in. And if she and if his daughter is brought to that prison, she will most likely die. And she tells him she will, she will make him a leader and she gives him little choice and he joins the Suicide Squad, and her staff seems disgusted by her actions. What do you think of Viola Davis here? I think Viola Davis is awesome, and I think she's a great actress. If you're asking about the character, yes, I'm also disgusted of this character's <laughs> actions. <laughs> Which were you asking about? Either, both. I mean, the character. Oh, Viola Davis. I didn't realize how much I loved her until I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And oh, she's so good at that. She was just the presence that she didn't have to say anything in that movie. And she just took that movie to just other levels. And I've been, I guess, realizing that I've overlooked Viola Davis for so, so many years. Cause after seeing her in that movie, I was just like, this woman is amazing. Yeah. She's a powerhouse when she, I don't remember if she won or if she was just nominated. I think she won for that one scene that she was in doubt. Um, that, that her role in the film in John Patrick Shane. Oh, did she doubt. win? Yeah, I think you might be right. I think she won for that. I, she was nominated. Great actress, despicable character. Yeah, and this and a despicable character, the, the real villain of the film. So she's manipulating people, like you said. She puts the chips in these in their heads and of the suicide squads that she's apparently got several of them going. And if they disobey her, she'll flip the switch and blow their heads up, which I think is a. That's a thing we've seen in movies before. I feel like. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's not the most original thing in the world, but that's that's fine. So now that she's got Bloodsport on her team, she introduces him to Peacemaker, played by John Cena and uh, Cena, Cena, John Cena. You know, I say Cena. Cena. I think it's Cena. I think, and I think that's um, right. I think it's Cena. He's an entertaining guy to watch. I sure like him. You know, I've never been a professional wrestler guy. I liked him in Cock Blockers. Um, you know, like he's, he's funny. He's a funny actor. Yeah. I guess I was pleasantly surprised. I was thinking again, okay, John Cena and wrestler. Oh boy. I gotta have to watch this guy. No, I, I enjoyed it from moment one. I thought he just did a great job. Yeah. He's only like starred in one or two movies and those movies haven't done that well. Uh, but he, he, he does have the peacemaker TV show coming up with full. We'll, we'll oh, talk gosh. about that here again. Okay. But um, so we're introduced to him. He's got the same exact exact skills as Bloodsport. They had this funny moment where they're like, uh, "I thought we were supposed to have unique abilities," and, and Peacemaker argues that his bullets are smaller, so therefore are uh, superior to Bloodsports somehow. Uh, we're introduced to Nanaway, also known as King Shark. Book read. So smart am I. <laughs> so smart me. Uh, Sylvester Stallone doing the the voice here is so perfect. I and mean, the man must be fully aware that he sounds like an idiot and just uses it to his advantage. <laughs> I was wondering that as I'm watching the movie. I'm like, okay, this is how people make fun of Stallone. Yeah. He's not an unintelligent person, no, but unfortunately no. his writer director makes him sound like that. <laughs> right. So he must know that okay, yeah, this is how people say I talk and act and he must have it must be a good sport about it because uh it you're right, it was perfect and it was it is. It was another very entertaining thing and King Shark 
I think that was another one where I saw the trailer and I thought, am I supposed to take this serious? I can't tell. <laughs> Comic book <laughs> movies have reached this point where we're just coming up with the craziest things, apparently. Yeah. But what's good about it is that's a comic book. That's like, what that's comic what books I, are. That's yeah. what they're, that was what they were supposed to be. Yeah. And so it's, I think we're at this point now where like, we just accept it for what it is and it's supposed to be yeah. fun. Yeah. There's a half shark, half man. What? How does that work? Don't worry about that at all just yeah. let's watch it and have fun i mean not that long ago american audiences or audiences generally were not that receptive to superheroes we were stuck with stuff like spawn or like the first x-men movie which by that standards of the time we're like wow this is amazing because that was as good as it got and now audiences have been completely prepped to accept things like king shark or multiverses right. or uh, or planet right. eaters or whatever like it's 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 we're in La La Land now, and I love it. And it's fine because we don't have to worry about that. We're we're past the point where comic books have to be gritty, right? And realistic, yes, and that got tiresome to me. I, I enjoy like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are yeah. there. I, I love them, them. but I don't want to sit down to a comic book movie <laughs> to like <laughs> see how gritty and horrible everything is, and just think <laughs> terror. Like I just want to have fun. Yeah. And and that's what this movie is. So King Shark, we get King Shark. Yeah. And uh, he is fun and funny. He's definitely one of the most likable characters that we're introduced to. Uh, we're then introduced to Cleo Cazzo, which is Ratcatcher 2, and uh, Sebastian the Rat, who I just love. Sebastian the Rat. He wants to shake hands with Bloodsport, who's not into it. And then lastly, we have my favorite character, Abner Krill better known as the Polka Dot Man, who is, again, one of the only characters I was remotely familiar with outside of this, but mostly just for being this absurd 1960s-era DC uh, Batman villain <laughs> that could throw polka dots and was just kind of famously silly and dumb. So Polka Dot Man is from the comic books, because it is ridiculous. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he's a very old character. These are what comic books are supposed to be. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Polka <laughs> yes. Dot Man. That, yeah, he was, uh, he was my favorite, too. I liked Peacemaker... I, I enjoyed them all. I enjoyed, I liked the, the camaraderie of it. We had like this, I felt like this dirty dozen type vibe, you know, this, it was, mm -hmm. it was pretty mm -hmm. decent chemistry and they're not working great together, but it's entertaining to watch them together. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they great against one another, some, especially Peacemaker and Bloodsport, but they also start to find common ground. At first, we're, uh, we're given this exposition here where they're, they're told about Corta Maltese and they're, and they're not friends yet. They're all sitting very separately from one another. We learned that General Luna has taken over the Herreras and uh, there's like, at, at Corta Maltese, there will be throughout the course of this movie, I think, four different presidents uh, yeah, that's true. That, that switch through power very quickly. And they learn that their mission is to infiltrate and to destroy Project Starfish and to get this guy named the Thinker to help. And uh, Nanawe raises his hand and it's called on in his answer. His question is, hand, which I just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bloodsport says we're all gonna die, and Polka Dot Man says he hopes. So. <laughs> He's a millennial, I guess. Uh, David Dasmalchian is so funny. I love him. Speaking yeah. of Batman, uh, you know the Batman movies where he got his start, and Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. That this guy is just—he was in Dune. We've already right. talked about him a little bit. Um, he's just someone that clearly directors like uh, because he keeps showing up in everything. But he is just. I don't know what it is about this guy, but I love him every time I see him. Like, there he is, David Desmaltian. I don't know what it is. He's a unique looking, but carries himself. He is another entertaining person to watch. These are all entertaining people to watch. Idris Elba, 
entertaining yeah. person to watch and he's yeah. been in some garbage <laughs> lately especially john cena yeah no you're right these are they're, they're all people that you want to kind of keep your eye on they're they're compelling uh actors for the most part we're brought back to the to, to the to now we see the leaves blow this was a this was a co- combination cg and practical effect that they, that they made the leaves to say now we're back at corta maltese on the north shore but meanwhile, on the South Shore, to go back there very quickly, Javelin is still kind of alive, and he passes his Javelin on to Harley Quinn, and she's taken captive, very frustrated that she doesn't know who she's going to be carrying the Javelin for. Uh, Flag is also taken captive, but by a different group. We don't know that at the time. Team B, our team, they set up camp. Polka Dot Man starts to express the fact that he's got issues. Uh, Polka Dot starts popping up in his face and, like, twisting his face and distorting them all up and stuff so he's got to go like shit polka dots or something i would like throw them up i don't know what he he does yeah yeah we don't know except that (laughs) he's swelling up with polka dots and we don't know what his his power is at this point right somebody says jokingly what do you throw polka dots (laughs) jokingly it turns out and then uh as that's going on king shark in a fury of hunger is almost eating the forever sleepy rat catcher too and sebastian wakes up blood sport who shoots uh, King Shark and stops him. They have this moment where like, they're trying to debate like what to do with this. We can't shark. have a... Just a great white shark on your team. Right? <laughs> we can't have this great white shark on our team. Um, and uh, we're introduced to Ratcatcher 2's power. She twists her little rope machine thing and uh, does her power and the rats show up from all over the place. And we learned that we learned that Bloodsport has a phobia for rats, yeah. which I find really interesting because ordinarily, the Indiana Jones thing, ordinarily right. this is a way to like, this ends up being like crucial to the plot if, the, if, our, if our otherwise super brave hero has like this one fear, but it's not crucial to the plot. It's crucial to his character development, which I find much cooler ends up being, you know, we end up seeing him overcome this phobia throughout the movie as he becomes closer with Ratcatcher 2. Team, the B team's alerted where Flag is, and they're told that he's, they got to save Flag uh, first from, these, from this group, and they don't know who this group is. They just show up and do what they're trained or what they enjoy doing, which is turn things into a fucking bloodbath. What do you think of this scene when they, when they show up? I mean, there's a bunch of blood, and then like we get treated to a dong for good measure at one point. Uh, what did you make of this scene? Do we? Is it John Cena? Yeah, you missed uh, John Cena's dong. No, it's one of the one of the people that they kill. He wakes up and he kind of like stretches and like walks out on his porch, like ah, does a big stretch. And his dick is just blowing really? in the wind, and then he gets shot in the face. I guess yeah. I didn't. So okay, <laughs> aside from that, I'm always part... on the lookout for dongs. I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Aside from that, a couple things are going through my mind. One, first thing is the the Peacemaker logo, and this is just a total aside, it's the same uh, logo as the church that I am a pastor of. The Church of the Nazarene has the the the, <laughs> church, the, the, the dove. Same again, are you? Uh, it's the, and it's the same dove. It's almost like a ripoff. So I thought, oh, look at this. It's like the Church of the Nazarene dove. Anyway, so then there's that. And then there's 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 more wanton slaughter. We get to see Polka Dot Man's power. In this scene, don't we? Yes. And we, we finally get to see him actually shoot polka dots and like these polka dots like dissolve whatever they touch or like explode yeah. or do something. It turns out it's a, an amazingly cool ability. <laughs> like that's, yeah. this, this guy's not like weak at all. This is this guy's no ridiculously powerful. We see the red catcher. But then um, and I might be jumping ahead. Come to find out these people that they just killed aren't the bad guys at all. They're trying to 
infiltrate the same compound that they're trying to do. There's, they should have been on the same team and they just killed uh, half the troop and they make a little joke about it and then we continue on. So again, this is mass death for, for laughs. Yes, for laughs. And there, again, I, again, I like the movie, but it's that same, I guess I'm, I'm supposed to still like these main characters, right? I'm supposed to still care about these guys who are yeah, who have yeah. just murdered all, you know. Was it necessary to do that for the laugh yeah. of it? These were freedom fighters. These are these are resistors to oppression and fascism. These are like good, brave, strong, yes. proud, good people. Like these are heroes. These are all heroes. And they just get fed to the fucking mulcher. You know, they just get utterly destroyed by these people like in a heart. So I didn't care for that part again. And I and I'm starting to get this theme. And this is to my mind where I'm like, you know what? This is this is what was not sitting right with me about the 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 main characters that I who I thought were the main characters that just got killed and destroyed and I was supposed to laugh at their deaths now I'm supposed to laugh at the deaths of these people and now I'm starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable honestly yeah I mean uh, well you know it's funny because you had said last episode that we recorded that you that you enjoyed guns uh, uh, comedic take on violence but maybe more so in an academic sense than in a practical one <laughs> maybe it's yes because I was I was even thinking well surely more people died in Godzilla. But we don't see it. So is that, I was really trying to put my finger on it is I'm made to care. That's why I say it. I, it's one thing to be made to care about somebody. And then just on, just for whatever reason, for a laugh, really. You're conflicted because you were just going on about how, uh, you know, in Avengers, these people are dying off screen and you're like, well, give us the actual, give us the reality. Like, give us the reality. <laughs> so true. you seem like you're of two minds on this. Well, no, uh, I don't, maybe, I don't mind people. I don't mind people dying, but it's the comedic take if I'm it. supposed to, if I'm supposed to like the characters of Bloodsport and Peacemaker and Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher and uh, the shark in Alway, maybe don't have them. Turns out they just killed a bunch of the wrong people. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, six bucks like me will laugh at it, and um, and also like, yeah, I, I think we do need to be reminded that these people are villains for the most part. They, they, I mean, King Shark, I think we're, it's pretty plainly obvious. Um, he was just got trying to issues. Eat yeah. Right. 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 And, and Peacemaker through his rhetoric, we, we figure out that he's, you know, he's, he's not a well person. He's a dangerous person. Yeah. Um, but uh, the rest of them, you kind of feel sorry for him, you know, like, like Polka Dot Man is insane and he was driven insane by his mother and Rat Catcher is yeah. actually like a perfectly fine person, apparently. Um, no, right. no issues there. She's a thief, but other than that, like a good person. Um, and Bloodsport for, you know, for whatever he's done, he doesn't really come off in much of the movie, like a bad, bad guy. Um, so I think that, I think it does serve a function in that, yeah, it's a, it's a cheap laugh, but also it reminds that these people are murderers and they kill with little compunction. That's true. And it's, yeah, this is Suicide Squad. Like you said before, it's not like these are yeah. <laughs> paragons of virtue or whatever. <laughs> um so they uh they they gather up the the, the this new woman uh, uh i forget her name solaria is she she is going to go with them she doesn't care too much that they killed all of her friends apparently she just wants to get back at the luna regime um they have a conversation with polka dot or they <laughs> uh wait they don't get to this point yet they <laughs> um yeah no not, not yet they <laughs> uh, they're talking and uh i'm sorry i got i got confused by my notes here because when they when they come into the uh the tent and they she's like what happened to 
all of my friends and they're like, oh, we didn't right. see him. Like, oh, I don't know. And then Poco Dot Man, I turned them into my mother in my head and killed them. <laughs> Which is just so crazy. Um, right. Because you don't know, you, this is the only thing you know about this guy is he's got these polka dots. He, yeah. He's got something wrong with him where he's got to relieve these polka dot, <laughs> whatever. And he can throw polka dots, which who knows what they do, but they, they dissolve or they, they just shred something. through anything. And, yeah. and now he, uh, he turns people into his mother, so he's able to kill them. <laughs> Which, yeah, not well. Um, meanwhile, back at uh, the Luna household, I guess, uh, the new president and uh, Luna and his general Suarez are watching this like old-timey NASA video that explains Starro. For the first time, we're introduced to the idea of Starro properly. We see Starro or uh, we, we, a, a, a tiny version of Starro, and we learn that Americans, in fact, were the ones that brought this from space. We don't learn yet how it goes from uh, American hands into the Corto Maltese hands, but we get some important backstory there. We see the words, meanwhile, Harley, again, another practical effect written in roots um, as she is buried in this, like she's in this hole. And as she's in the hole, she's then thrown a dress and told that she'll be meeting El Presidente. And she's quite taken with this very good-looking man who times it quite nicely to come out of his uh, in his pool just as she walks up so she can see his body and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they start hanging out. And we see also when she's in this dress now, she has a tattoo on her, on her shoulder blade that says, uh, Property of No One, which is a... There was a tattoo in the other film, I think, there that said Property of Joker, and I think it's been... Property of Joker. Uh, okay. Adjusted. Don't, don't quote me on that, but there's some sort of significance there. And I feel like in Birds of Prey, she had a face tattoo on her jaw, which she doesn't have anymore. But that, not that that matters. Yeah, no, you're right. A lot of her facial tattoos were were, were removed. Not, not all of them, but a few of them have been removed for this film. She uh, and the, the President Luna hated off. They, they, there's some really pretty images of them in their in giant birdcage. Um, he asks her to marry him, and they fuck like crazy. Uh, all over the place, setting fire, burning things. Um, and uh, she even, at the end of it, says she, she likes the, the ring of, the, the, of Harley Luna, which actually does sound pretty well together. And, uh, and then she, she asks him about, the, uh, about his country a little bit more. And he starts talking about uh, the, uh, the Hotenheim Tower that the Nazis had built that the previous regime, the Herrera regime, had eventually, had eventually killed them. And it was there that this massive weapon was in store. And he was going to use that weapon to kill men, women, and children that uh, uh, opposed him. And she shoots him right in the chest because, quote, killing kids is kind of a red flag. Um, and this whole speech that she gives here, which is an excellent speech, I think um, I read that it was either the first or one of the very first things that James Gunn wrote before he even wrote the rest of the plot. Uh, or had worked any of that out. He like wrote this whole speech for her, uh, wanting her to kill someone who was a red flag because you know she she couldn't just break up with people. She says they don't just go away quietly. They'll slash your tires and kill your dogs, and all the cruelty tears you apart after a while. It's actually a pretty moving speech. It is. Uh, so again, I I wasn't sure after she kills him. So she's he's going to kill kids. That is a red flag. It Nobody's going to argue mean, that's not a red flag. Don't, don't date someone who's a kid killer. Okay, so here's where I'm conflicted again. If, if, the, if it was just the case that Harley was, was she really smitten with this guy or was this the plan all along? I'm just going to get close to him and uh, I'm going to get oh, some no, pleasure she, out I of this guy. Was, I think she was genuinely smitten with him. That, 
definitely goes with her character. Yeah. She has been in an abusive relationship with the right. Joker. Right. Which was uh, just unfortunate for Harley Quinn and it and it I guess it just stinks. I it I hate to see <laughs> I hate to see someone like that go into another bad relationship and another bad relationship. It just makes me feel which bad. Is, and, and I, which is why it's good that she killed him. <laughs> I guess it, right? I guess it is. But all leading up to that, I'm going, ah, I can't feel good about this. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to feel good. I can't because this is, uh, I, I feel bad for anybody that's in that kind of relationship. I remember when, when the first suicide squad came out and there were girls, little teenage girls that I was, uh, talking with and in youth groups and you know you're trying to help these kids out and these little girls look up to i remember there was a there's one class where every girl in there thought wouldn't they love to have a relationship the way harley quinn and joker have a relationship which is why things have gone the way that they've gone with these characters in film everybody at once figured out like shit this is not what people are supposed to be getting from this this is toxic these people are supposed (laughs) to be like people are supposed to be repelled by their relationship and people it wasn't just kids like adults were getting the wrong idea about these two as well so i think they've done a good job in in making her come out of this between birds of of prey she's got her own cartoon which is based on her being single which i've not seen but two seasons of that exist and then this uh driving home the point that like if someone is like joker you should shoot them in the chest (laughs) So yeah, Lee, go, uh, up to that point, I'm going, oh no, not again. And then uh, to shoot him, yeah, okay. In the context of the movie, yes, you're right. That's the right move. To, <laughs> that's the right move to make, <laughs> sure. all things considered. <laughs> but the fact that she was just drawn in so easily to the guy, I, I just feel bad for him. But that's her character, yeah. and that's the way it is. Yeah. She's, she does say she's got horrible taste in men. But with Luna, Luna dead, uh, Suarez, his general, who seemed like he was going to be like this nothing character, all of a sudden this guy's now in charge. And his first uh, act is to burn all of Luna's birds uh, while contemplating sicking sorrow on the United States, on China, on Russia to be taken seriously. Serious man. Starro, we haven't we haven't described this yet, but um, is is a starfish. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We we talked about him briefly uh, in the in the in the video clip, but we're he's a star a big pink and blue starfish with a big eye in the middle of it. That's all we really know about him at this point. And we don't know quite how big he is, except that he's smaller than a human, we think, because he was able to be brought on to that thing with a mask. We saw the astronauts kind of wrangle him, yeah. Yeah, and we see the astronauts also get attacked by Starro at that point as well, don't we? Starro. <laughs> yeah, Starro. I love Starro. So we get uh, Pokemon's, a Polka Dot Man's backstory here. They're, they're, they're marching around and all of a sudden Peacemaker turns to him like, is this contagious? Like, what is going on here? And it is a virus. It's an interdimensional virus of some sort. And it turns out that his mother, she had been obsessed with trying to convert him and his siblings into superheroes and instead apparently created uh, super villains and, and made them either kill them or drove them insane. And... He's asked where his mother is now, and he answers everywhere. And for the first time, we see how Krill sees the world. And every this is one of my favorite points in the movie. Every character has his mother's face and body and everything. They're all just his mother. And that's yes. just what the world is for him. So everybody he sees who he turns into his head, he wants to kill. So he kind of wants to kill everybody. He's asked at one point earlier, I didn't reference it, like uh, Ratcatcher says, I thought you were the crazy one to him. And says, I am. And he is. <laughs> and he is. Yeah, but it for some reason it does make him all the more endearing. Not only because yeah. you care about him, this this yeah. poor kid. He's tragic. But 
but that he's dealing with this. And it's it's legitimately, again, comical. It's yeah, it's 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 funny, but it's sad and it's entertaining all at the same time. Like it's just it's it's classic gun. There's heart here. There's actual heart here, and it's weird and it's funny and disturbing. So, uh, more violence as we're introduced to Milton, the friend of uh, Sol Soria, the uh, the revolutionary leader. This is a bus driver friend of hers, I guess, is going to drive them around. Milton's going to show up. Yeah, um, and he's going to be in the rest of the film pretty much and just kind of like serving this weird auxiliary role of driving them around and kind of walking with them sometimes. <laughs> uh, the comms, are, like communications are blocked out by the uh, by the Corto Maltese uh, regime, but somehow Waller and Bloodsport are still able to sort of talk to each other. She reminds Bloodsport that his daughter is still at risk and uh, John, the analyst guy played by Steve A.G., uh, asks, you know, for sure, like, are we really, would we really do anything to this kid? Like, is this, is this actually on the table? And uh, Waller says, you have no idea what I can do. So getting the analyst right. prepped to turn against her for later. Back on the bus, we have a rare moment of reflection and flashback. Uh, Rat Catcher 2 starts talking about her father, Rat Catcher 1, a, her- a heroin addict and inventor, played by Taika Watiti, makes a, a, a fun appearance here. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see him. Yeah, he always does, again, a very entertaining person to, to watch. It, it binds Ratcatcher 2 and Bloodsport because they talk about their fathers and their gross difference between their fathers. Because for all the flaws of Ratcatcher 1, he was a good father who, who loved his daughter, trained her, taught her how to do things out of love as opposed to like, I'm not really sure the militancy that would have prompted uh, Bloodsport's father into treating him the way that he did. So they, they promise each other that they'll get each other out alive. And they, they clearly at this point, like there's a real bond there. They go drinking. Uh, they have to go to the bar, this local club to wait for the thinker. So they go in there. Uh, they wisely leave uh, Nana away to jam by himself in the back of the bus to music. Cause he's not quite going to fit in. There's this funny moment where he's going to like, he's going to have a mustache. <laughs> he's going to try and like fit in like, no dude, I'm sorry. You you have to hide. There's no way this great white shark uh, on two feet is going <laughs> to blend into this place. Um, so <laughs> they go into the bar and they're, and this is a great moment. They're laughing together. They're drinking together. Even Sebastian gets a drink. And again, like I think almost all my favorite moments in this movie are polka dot man moments. And when we see his worldview, because when he's dancing on the dance floor and everything slows down and everyone around him dancing is also his mother, but he's having this great time. I really, really love that moment. Cause it's like, he's going to die soon. Spoiler alert. And he is clearly a really miserable and unhappy person who's been treated to a really miserable and unhappy life. And you get the sense that like, he's never been around people that he liked or who liked him or in a situation where you can really let loose and dance and have fun. So I feel like it's just, I don't know. It's like a really freeing and like great moment that he's able to, even in the midst of his many mothers fucking freak out and have himself a good time. Right. And and, well, kudos. Yes, you're absolutely right. And again, kudos to David Dismalchian who is able to just pull that off somehow. He does so much with, with not a lot. I mean, it just makes a facial expression and it just conveys a ton in that. Uh, the thinker finally arrives. Um, and meanwhile, the army shows up outside looking for the suicide squad. Bloodsport comes up on the thinker played by Peter Capaldi, gets him to, to lead them to this Nazi tower thing, the, the Hotenheim or whatever it's called. And uh, soldiers blow in right around about the same time. So Bloodsport sends Ratcatcher in the polka dot man out with thinker 
and he gives himself up to the to the um, soldiers, as does Flag, um, and then by extension Peacemaker, kind of like serving themselves up on the platter to to try and get the less confident characters out, which is exactly what Thinker says to the to uh, Ratcatcher and uh, and Polka Dot Man. Like you guys are clearly not the the alphas on this team, and uh, <laughs> Ratcatcher threatens to send like a, a army of rats up his ass, and he looks he's he's downright thrilled. Yeah, that was that was strange. Well, it was equ- it was it, more strange. So Peter Capaldi is the thinker, and he's got these uh, like tubes. Things? Like uh, what do you the, call those? The, I don't know valves. Those old they, TV make him, tubes? they make him. They think of make his brain good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes him an extra thinky. And yeah. <laughs> so he's got these sticking all over his head. And he's a. Uh, I know Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. So here's here's Doctor Who. It was a little bit jarring to me because you, you know, Doctor Who is a very well loved character, and uh, and here he is in what is kind of a Doctor Who, <laughs> like a Doctor Who setting with these strange, like big ridiculous alien, and uh, but to see him as the bad guy is a, is a is a change of pace and a creepy bad guy. Yeah, I've, I've never watched Doctor Who. I, I loved him in Lair of the White Worm though. Um, ah, yeah, way way, way back. But uh, well, he's he's he, the twelfth doctor, or he was. Yes, yeah, he was. Um, and uh, and he, and he's this is a different role for him to play a villain, definitely. So they're captured now, Flag and Bloodsport and Peacemaker, and they're being uh, moved. And while in transit, there's this awesome moment between Bloodsport and this just random henchman, where they're talking about like how easy it is to kill someone with a single blow. And the henchman's like, well, actually, no, you can't really do it that easily. You can't really time it. And he's like, oh, everyone says that. Who says that? Amateurs. And then all at once, the three of them, uh, you know, the three suicide squatters take out their uh, captors and kill them all with a single blow at the same time, which is a pretty sweet moment. Um, they start shooting things up and they crash the damn thing and uh, it blows up and they emerge, of course, from the wreckage and operation Hotenheim is in the fire behind them, and then Hotenheim blows out, and it turns into Harley because Flag reminds them, "We gotta get, we gotta get Harley. We're not gonna leave her," which is cool. Flag is a good man, at least in this version of, of the characters. Uh, I've I'm, I'm, I've heard that in DC he's much in the, in the comic books he's much bigger dick. Oh, interesting. Okay, and I don't remember him from. I remember him only vaguely from the first Suicide Squad. Yeah, I think he's got a bigger role in this one. I mean, he's more important than this one. I think he's in the entire movie of the first one, but he's he's more, I think, integral in this one. Um, so we're 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 brought we're brought to Harley, who's in like the classic uh, torture situation where she's hanging from her wrists and dangling and being like shocked and tortured and stuff by these by these two guys, and she's singing just a gigolo uh, the whole time. Every time she gets zapped, she, she's singing, and she won't she won't she won't turn over on anybody. She she doesn't even really know how many other metahumans or anybody else is out there, but she she won't give them anything. She tells them there's 69 of them if she's just fucking around. And this is where I like this is her time to shine, and this is where I really started to understand. I think for the first time, or at least put it into place. Not like it's a big secret, but like Harley Quinn. You know, she's she's not Superman. She's not even Batman. You know, she's just a, a girl as far as I know. But here now in this set of setting, in this situation, I can see exactly the strength of Harley Quinn. Yes, exactly. We have a quick cut back to Team B 
uh, and where we get this funny moment where um, <laughs> where Bloodsport's making fun of the helmet of Peacemaker, saying it's like like a toilet seat. And he's like, it's not a toilet seat; it's a beacon of freedom. Uh, but me, but then we get back to the torture situation, and you're right. We learn that Harley Quinn is in fact one of the most powerful on the Suicide Squad, despite the fact that she's not a metahuman, she's not trained, she is um, she is uh, gifted with the uh, the the special powers of being the protagonist, I guess, uh, because she is unfucking stoppable. Um, she frees herself by by uh, breaking the one guy's neck when he's distracted on his phone, which is, I think, actually pretty funny. Like he's like texting his wife or whatever. It's like this this, this could happen, and she goes on this just unstoppable murder spree. It's just completely like over the top. She needs no rescuing, and it's made really beautifully clear by Gun that she. This is her element. She loves this. Flowers are blooming behind her. Birdies are flying. This, as she's killing, like it's, it's, it's an over the top kind of John Wicky kind of like uh, who could possibly kill like like she's every shot is a kill shot. You know, it's just like over. It's ridiculous. But oh, man, it's it's a great action sequence, and it is it is really improved by all this weird animation going on the whole time, just to display how uh, blissful it is for her. And this is this is just James Gunn again. It's it's Harley Quinn in her sweet spot, and it's also James Gunn in his sweet spot. It's like almost like an effortless. It felt felt like an effortless. We're having fun, and she is. This is exactly what she does. Yeah, and it's also here that I realized, like, yeah, she's she's not she's not shoehorned in. She 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 is like uh, she's she's very much her own powerful individual. And and when she, and during all this, she grabs the javelin, which is going to be crucial for later on in the film that that's gonna that's gonna come back right Flulaborg has said from the very beginning this is this javelin has a great importance <laughs> she doesn't know what it is but she believes in it and it turns out he's right um she she gets out and she gets into a cab and then she sees blood sport and flag uh, and realizes that they've come to like you know, that they're there and so she gets out of the cab she was ready to just fucking <laughs> right. i don't know go home i don't know what she, where she was going to go in this cab <laughs> gonna go to the airport or something um and she sees him she's like what are you guys doing they're like oh we're gonna rescue you. and she's like oh well, i can go back inside it's so adorable she's like oh i i didn't mean to free myself i love that part i love that part because it's just you know it, it it it's the strength of her character you know what i mean like Oh, I'm sorry that I freed myself. I'm sorry I'll go back in there. And we aren't, we don't feel like she's anything less than any of these guys. She can do, she can handle herself very well, probably better than all these guys. <laughs> and as flighty as she is, uh, uh, much of this movie is about the connections, the relationships being made between some of these characters, not all of them. Um, between some of them as it, as it goes on. And, and, that, and, that, and you see that here, like she's genuinely touched. She gives. She even gives Flag like this big hug. Uh, hey, by the Pixies kicks in, which is a great song, which should be in more movies. We're always given <laughs> the Pixies song. Here comes your man. Give us Hey. Um, anyways, so Hey plays, and uh, <laughs> they drive the bus into Hotenheim, and uh, once they get off the bus, like they get out in the rain and they're walking, just again like total badasses, like walking off the bus into the white rain, then. Then we get the shot from far away as they're all kind of coming into focus through the white rain. It's so cool looking. And I love, I love that even on the far end, you see Milton as part of this group walking with him. And this was actually the thing that uh, James Gunn 
clicked like or he liked one of my or someone else's comment to, to me pointing out to someone else that Milton was there and this other person was like oh I didn't know he was there and I'm like yeah anyways and then we're treated I think to my favorite shot of the movie uh, I think the most iconic epic shot of the film is when they get up on the soldiers and they start fighting and um, they're 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 kicking all their asses I mean Bloodsport is shooting them everybody's dying. King Shark isn't doing much until he until he turns this guy turns around and sees King Shark and King Shark grabs this man and rips him in half oh, yeah. down the middle as lightning bolt strikes behind him and it is I mean it's so over the top but fuck I, lo- I love it so much <laughs> split down the middle not not even at the torso but like <laughs> like vertically <laughs> why didn't DC go the R route it seems like they tried to be Marvel so many times and they failed so many times just go r and be your own thing or, or i don't well, know did. i feel like you mean with this what do you mean i mean yeah with this keep keep doing this I, I i've been so disappointed by dc so far and i feel like stop trying to be marvel because this is it's different and it's great yeah. dc's strongest i think when it's not trying to directly mimic marvel but on the other hand it th- it often seems to think that to not be like marvel means have no levity have gray nothing but gray and blackness you know what i mean like uh which is what you were referring to earlier so this is a this is a weird one in that it doesn't feel like a marvel movie but it still is joyful it is gory and it is profane but it still feels like a joyful uh celebration of comic books and that kind of stuff which is a key thing to do in a comic book movie so in hotenheim they start putting up these plastic explosives all over the place and Nanaway makes a little peacemaker uh plastique man which is really adorable and they have like their little moment there and in the basement they get to dirty little secrets uh the, the uh, team they, they split themselves up the suicide squad in, into two teams so we follow sebastian the the the, the rat that's freaking out with rat catcher two peacemaker flag and blood sport in in one team sebastian starts freaking out as that before they even round the corner and uh we see for the first time all of starro's victims we see what starro can do he can turn humans into these proxy versions of him but by i guess i don't want to quite call it a mask but it's kind of like the you know like the like an alien the the face hugger kind of thing it's like these it's these starfish that cling to your face and you and we're shown that if you try and take them off, it'll remove your actual face. And then if I guess the tentacles go into your brain and take over your brain and you become like an extension of Starro. And so we learn what's been happening to the Herrera regime and Luna regimes, uh, political victims, their enemies. I guess probably Mateo Suarez is at this point as well. And uh, all these people just kind of milling around and they can talk, which is the scariest and weirdest and creepiest part. They can talk for Starro and they ask, are you here to save us? So, and these are like Starro spawn, like little, little versions of Starro. And they're attached onto the face like a uh, mermaid man from SpongeBob SquarePants. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that is super creepy to hear out of these voices, the voice of this gigantic starfish from space. Yeah, and we see through the window that Starro is significantly bigger than he was in the 1960s reel that we had seen before. He is now like bigger than a skyscraper and we only see his arm or one of his arms at this point. Uh and we also learn why Starro wasn't exper- experimented with on American uh soil. T- uh, tinker uh, uh Thinker tells them the Suicide Squad that that America actually hired him and uh made a deal with Corto Maltese to like keep this secret on 
on Corto Maltesian soil, which actually kind of reminds me of Gitmo Bay a little bit. I kept on thinking of like there's, I don't know if he's a de deliberate. Yeah, delivery, yeah, it's very similar. Right? I got like some. some... Right. We, we know what we're doing. We want to do this. We can't do this on American soil. So we're going to do it on this Latin American or whatever yeah. island. Def and that, that and, supposedly uh, we have no. Bypass. Right. That we supposedly have no connections with. Yeah, yeah dictators etc yep, yep plausible deniability if anything goes wrong well we don't know anything it's not it's not who knows what goes on down there yeah. but it's not our fault yeah yeah so we learned that actually america is the bad guy which is actually this is this is one of the key points i really don't care for in the movie that that movie is so consistently needed always turn americans and oh man maybe i'm an american so i'm biased but that ultimately america ends up being the real bad guy all the time has gotten a bit cliche like, yeah. all right. Okay. Yeah. We're the evil empire. Sorry about that. Right. Um, but, but uh, this you know, does whatever. set up the real animosity now between, or this is going to yes. split the suicide squad. Yes. This, this is going to create a rift. This, this important information that America is complicit in project starfish uh, flag gets proof of this in the form of a, like some sort of drive and peacemaker pulls a gun on him. And we learned that Waller had charged him, specifically with destroying so this, this is the actual real mission which i don't know what waller would have done if peacemaker had died along the way or what this is not exactly well planned um but peacemaker's real mission is to destroy this information this is the whole reason they're there they're not actually even there to destroy project starfish they're just there to destroy the record of america's involvement it's right about the time that this happens that uh the bombs go off above we don't know that they're premature we don't know why they're going off this point but the bombs go off above and suddenly the roof collapses and starro has been free starro the first thing it does is grab the thinker it's torturer for 30 years and, it, and its other arm is going after after the rat catcher down the hallway and it's like it's huge it's destroying the hallway but once it gets thinker um and it's kind of smaller it's got like two sets of tentacles it's got like the big arms and it has like these little like like filament tentacle things that kind of can come out and it can do stuff with that too. Yeah. They're like the squid tentacle. Like the, the, there's the fit, the, the five legs or whatever they are on starfish. Yeah. And then there's the little squid tentacles. And I guess we'll just say, yeah. I, at least this seems again, I'm so glad that we're embracing. Uh, it's, it's almost like they sat down and said, what's the silliest villain. Let's get yeah. the silliest heroes we can yep. imagine. And yes. let's get the silliest villain we can imagine and just have fun with it. Let's make a fun movie because this has got to be the silliest villain <laughs> or monster I've ever, ever. seen. <laughs> and I'd never heard of Starro, but Starro was invented in like the 1960s. This is a really old character from DC that, you know, again, I don't, I don't, I don't track DC, so I didn't know this, which was entirely new to me, but utterly unexpected and bizarre <laughs> right. and funny. Starro... Um, and you kind of cheer when Starro uh, rips Thinker's arm and legs off and splashes him against this window. And 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 he actually got off light. I'm like, oh, man, you, you got off light, Thinker. He, Starro killed you pretty quickly. I thought you were going to get a much harder for time. For torturing and experimenting yeah. on him for 30 years? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, yeah. this is um, at least the second, but probably more. What, what is it called when a body is ripped in half? Is there a word for that? <laughs> A dismemberment. Uh, we get this great fight sequence between Flag and Peacemaker that's reflected in, in Peacemaker's helmet. I really love this scene. Uh, so much of this movie was shot with practical effects. There's this, this, this uh, kind of camera called a RED camera, capital R-E-D. It's a much, much smaller camera that you can kind of like move a lot more 
quick you can put it like on a boom arm basically and move it around a lot faster but it's like on this it's got it's got this weird uh, there's a lot you can do with this thing to, to this tiny camera to move around quickly and i think it's used a great effect in this sequence uh, as it's clearly rotating around the helmet and we see the uh, flag and peacemaker fighting one another in it at one point flag like falls down or directly face first in front of the helmet and gets pulled back by peacemaker it goes on for about 30 seconds but it's really really cool i'm glad to hear that you're making a point of saying all these practical effects i i guess i didn't effects i didn't realize that these were all practical effects so much as more I'm watching of it, it yeah a lot more than you would think it is but gun said in an interview that i watched with him that this movie I mean, I, I have very little amount of time in like filmmaking. I, I, I played around in it. Well, you went to school for it. Yeah. And, and one of the things I know about filmmaking is that what you have in your head and what comes out between like the collaboration of all these different people and then like reacting to unforeseen circumstances and, and all that kind of stuff, like what you have in your head and what actually is created are, are usually vastly different. And Gunn said that this film is the most like what he had in his mind out of all the movies that he's made. And it's because of these cameras. He's able to do all kinds of practical effects and like basically film this stuff like it's really happening live. Um, there's a lot less like green screen backgrounds than you would than you would typically see in a and like in a Marvel movie, for instance, it's almost all green screen backgrounds, you know, but this is this was shot very, very differently. And it shows it, it, it there's this element of reality to this movie for all of its surreality. I think it's because of these cameras. And then finally like a flag gets Peacemaker down the ground where he's like killing him. He's choking him to death with this pipe and Peacemaker gets a scrap of like shrapnel and stabs Flag in the heart. And before he dies, Flag says, Peacemaker, what a joke, which is the best possible thing you could say to Peacemaker if he's killing you. Because right. <laughs> Peacemaker right. is in fucking sane. I mean, the guy is insane. He literally will thinks that killing people is the best way to get peace. Yeah, he said that earlier. I mean, we we know this earlier in the movie as he says <laughs> which is a hilarious line like i'm i'm the peacemaker i i uh i fight i'll kill however many people i need to in order to maintain peace or like to get peace or something <laughs> right. like that right. which is absolutely an, thing. an insane thing to say right yeah he's he's, a, he's i i believe he's dc's ver like version of punisher punisher started off as a villain okay and um and i think that, <laughs> that he's kind sense. of that like like, I, he, I'll, like punisher in, the, in his original introduction like would kill people for jaywalking and shit like that oh and wow, so okay. that's that, that's kind of peacemaker only peacemakers stayed that way <laughs> <laughs> and his goal is we have to get this uh we, we can't let this information get out because it'll make America look bad. Exactly. And that's that's a problem. You can't can't have that. That's not peaceful. So Ratcatcher uh sees what happens. She cares about Flag. She takes the she takes the drive and she runs with it and and Peacemaker starts pursuing her. And he catches up with her and he's about to kill her and she says, "Okay, okay, just destroy the drive. Why kill me?" And you can see that like he kind of struggles for a minute and and we're reminded one of the things that um Bloodsport said to him earlier in the movie. He says, "You know what? I think he says, I think you use liberty as an excuse." to do and kill whatever the fuck you want to do. And that's 100% the case with him and with many other people in the world today, because she asks him this and he just kind of like, he goes, uh, because I'm thorough. Sorry, kid. He's like prepared to kill her. Right. Right. You, which he clearly hasn't thought through. Like that was a, actually a good point that you made. <laughs> Why do you need to kill me? And the reality is he just wants to kill her. And then we see eight minutes earlier in the clouds, which is a really uniquely timed flashback to, to like have a movie go on and be like, okay, now we're going to take you back eight minutes to, ago to what was happening with the other side. 
of the suicide squad that's always fun i almost never get tired of that i i you know you see it a lot in movies but i always enjoy it i i want to say i i think i always enjoy it when they do like an eight minute flashback yeah or well not necessarily eight minutes but yeah eight (laughs) minutes specifically really hits that perfect spot for me but no anytime (laughs) anytime we go and we see now here's what happened earlier and sometimes it's cheap but I, I enjoy it. It's a fun way of doing things. If it's, if it's done right, if it's done well like it is here, it, it, it's very effective. So we see King Shark is in this aquarium where there's these weird alien fish things that I guess yeah. they've picked up somewhere. Where did and, these come, uh, where did these come from? <laughs> this is okay. a little inexplicable. I'm, gonna, I'm just along for the ride at this point. Um, <laughs> he starts playing with them. He's like, friends, and he's running around with them. Um, Milton is... <laughs> Still with our heroes here. Necessary. Wait a second. Was this? <laughs> were those? Were those things necessary? Were they? Were they? No. I mean, I think of anything. If you took anything out of this movie, I think that whole sequence would probably be the most easily removed. Those little goofy looking sucker fishes. Yeah, they're yeah, called yeah. Uh, Clyrax or Silorax or something like that. I looked it up. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't, there's no reason for them to be there. Uh, Milton gets killed on somewhere on like the 10th floor or whatever, like in this office part of the tower and Milton is shot and Polka Dot Man is very upset by this. He's like, they killed Milton and Bloodsport's like, Milton was still with us. <laughs> and Harley's like, who the fuck was Milton? And they're like, oh, Milton, that Milton, Milton, that Milton. <laughs> Didn't she think somebody else was Milton? She thought that Bloodsport was Milton. I thought that, that was your name was when we were saying Milton. Yeah, later I, on, she thinks, that, she thinks that he's Milton. She, gets, she just learns that she, she realizes that she, she learned a name somewhere and it was Milton. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's more, it was more, and this is the part of the movie where I thought, okay, they know they're doing like the issues that I had earlier that I said, where yeah. we're just kind of like killing off for a laugh characters that we were made to feel sorry about. And here now we're again doing it for Milton, but the, the movie, the movie clearly knows it's doing it because now this is the whole joke is, Oh yeah, there's that guy, Milton. He's dead now. Milton. Yeah. Milton's dead. He served no function. He was running around with us waiting to die basically. <laughs> But I'm glad you talked about Milton because that's, uh, yeah, that's important. I like Milton. I do. I do, um, I do too. <laughs> and I feel bad that he was killed for a laugh. I'm sorry, Milton. And 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 I and I like that Polka Dot Man is the man who's is the person who's yes. most affected by Milton's death. He's like he, this yes. guy's given up everything to follow us and be with us, and yes. and he's still a resistance fighter. Like this guy's a hero, and like everyone else is like, what? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I felt that in the movie too. Like I thought, okay, so they know what I'm the issues that I'm feeling with this movie. They yes. must because they're they're putting it in my face now. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're turning that they're taking that discomfort and uh, unsettling aspect of murder and turning it into a, a comedic point, which I think is uh, a, a fine, a delicate thing to do. But I, I feel like they pull it off pretty well. Uh, more more guards show up. And uh, and polka dot man, you know, he's he's very angry about Milton. He's not thinking clearly. He throws the polka dots too soon and they or, or too close to the explosives, and they end up setting off the explosives, which in turn sets off all the other explosives. They were supposed to be well clear of the tower by this point, uh, but instead they blow the tower up with them still fucking inside of it. <laughs> well, <they're> in. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> which is what the explosion was that we saw yeah, before the flashback, which explains that. In, in the notes I was taking, I'm like, why did it? blow up because I had forgotten because I'd only seen it the one time before. Um, so below downstairs, Nanaway is swept up in the broken aquarium and his new friends have like these weird sucker Sarlacc 
faces things that they can attach to him, and, they, and he, so he's fighting them. The explosion frees Starro. This is a problem. This was going to happen regardless of whether or not the Suicide Squad was in that building. So uh, they weren't thinking they weren't thinking this all the way through. Yeah, or they weren't true. fully aware of what it was they're uh, up against. Right. So Peacemaker was supposed to take the supposed to hide this information that would have been some culpability toward the United States. Right. But the rest of the team was supposed to stop Starro, weren't they? I, I mean, they were they were told that they were to destroy Operation Starfish. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess okay. that's what they're that's what they're doing is they're trying to blow so up. So they're the going to blow up the building, the right? Just so happened they were in it, but either way, they're going to have to deal with Starro. Right. But they didn't. They they had not seen Starro on the upstairs, right? Like I mean, um, everybody else they had not seen Starro. Yeah, Bloodsport is upstairs. I kind of got my team screwed up here a little bit. Uh, Bloodsport's upstairs with Harley and Polka Dot, and the Shark King Shark Nanaway is kind of supposed to be with them, but kind of running around doing. Something. All right, so. Starro is now freed, and uh, we don't know that quite yet, though the tower turns into this leaning tower, and Nanawe falls from the top of it, and he falls all the way down. I remember I saw it in theaters, it was like, no, King Shark, don't, don't die. Um, and then, like, all these soldiers come out and just are, are filling him full of bullets, but he's still alive, because when they go to reload, he gets up, and he's pissed, and he eats someone's head, and the guy's eyes are, like, looking around in there, and I realized that the first time watching this, I'm like, oh, He's the Incredible Hulk. I mean, he's like, you oh, can't yeah. kill him. You can't, his right. skin is too tough. You can't kill him. Yeah, the only really thing, because he's been shot before in this movie, and it doesn't, that doesn't even dent on him, but the, those little suckerfish things were able to do some damage. But Yeah, those are the only that things much. that really could break his, break his skin, and, it, and you're right, it really isn't that much. So the whole thing collapses. The whole tower collapses. There, everybody who's up on the top floors are falling. Uh, Bloodsport tries to save himself by, like, doing this grappling hook thing and he swings and he hits his himself against a wall and his helmet smashes, which seems like a poor design for a helmet. Um, Harley keeps <laughs> herself alive with her javelin. That helmet's cool, by the way. Now that you point out that helmet, it looked like the alien, the xenomorph. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool helmet. I was actually kind of sad to see it go. Again, I, I don't know DC that well. I feel like I, I don't think Bloodsport's a character that you ordinarily see his face very much, I thought, but I could be wrong. Again, I'm not, not a DCologist. Um, Bloodsport takes a ride all the way down as, as floor after floor uh, gives out from under him. And he has like this total superhero move where he's like riding the thing down and like looking all badass, but also it's an accident. And it, so it's kind of funny at the same time. Again, it's just the, the tone of this movie is so dead on it. So precise and unique. Right. So he gets to the bottom and when he gets to the bottom, he sees that Peacemaker is about ready to kill his friend Ratcatcher. So they fire at each other at the same time in very intense, almost Snyder-esque slow motion, and the two bullets collide. And it turns out that Bloodsports is smaller than Peacemaker's, unlike the other way around, which because Peacemaker said earlier that his bullets were smaller. Bloodsports' bullets are smaller, and somehow that means that it destroys Peacemaker's bullet, travels through him, uh, and it travels through that wreckage, and still hits Peacemaker right in the throat. Peacemaker says, how? And Bloodsport tells him it's smaller bullets. Ratcatcher survived, you know, this uh, assault, and she gives the drive to Bloodsport because he's the leader, I guess. And then right about at this point, uh, Starro is coming out. So the squad barely makes it out in time as Starro triumphantly emerges, and we get this great freeze frame where it's a Suicide Squad versus Starro the Conqueror. <laughs> And it's right about here that I realized, like, shit, there's still like 40 minutes left of this movie or something. There's like a, <laughs> still a lot of movie left uh, because things are about to get 
weird, weirder and different. <laughs> yeah. So Starro is this massive pink and blue, is it? it just <laughs> again, it, it was like they asked like kindergartners, hey, what do you think is a <laughs> make a crazy monster? And then they just took some kid's drawing and, and made it. But uh, it's just the fun of the movie is it makes it more fun that he's so ludicrous. Starro the Conqueror. But he's also terrifying because it's not just that he steps on things. When he lifts his arms and these folds open up in his uh, sides and all of these little, like these little tiny starfish come flying out into the sky and, and everybody stops to watch them come down. And they start landing yeah, on people's faces. Them. and they're Thousands of hundreds them. Hundreds of them. Yeah, and they're aiming at people's faces. And Ratcatcher figures out very quickly to get her mask on. Bloodsport and Polka Dot Man are able to fight theirs off uh, as is Harley. And, and uh, King Shark, the, the things just, they won't connect to his face. <laughs> they don't his work on King tough. Shark, yeah. <laughs> they, they just hit his face and fall off. So he, <laughs> yeah. so he doesn't connect to uh, Starro, which is good. But pretty much everybody else has been, uh, you know, Starro'd. Uh, and the, the quick cutaway to the Corto Maltese new president, the fourth president of the film, ne never gets a name because the, the revolutionaries kicked down the door and <laughs> shoot him to death. Another coup. Yeah, another uh, yet another coup. The squad watches in horror as Starro's victims begin to twitch and rise zombie style, like uh, as, as his proxies. And they yell collectively, all these people at once, Say that this city is mine, and they all and they all yell, and Starro begins to walk, and again it's so fucking intense. And when John, uh, the analyst, turns and says, "We got a freaking kaiju up in this shit," I lost it. <laughs> I lost it. Uh, it was a great moment and really cool, really surreal. I wish they would have done a little more with the the talking, the humans talking for Starro. Yeah. I think they only do it one more time in the in the movie, but it is. It's very interesting, unique, and unsettling. Yeah, and and but also so weird that it's kind of funny. It's a lot of things at once. Um, so Waller tells the Suicide Squad that this is it. Their job is done. All they have to do is uh, destroy that hard drive and leave. Um, destroying the city or saving the city is not their problem. Uh, and if anything, the U.S. will say that unrest in a dictatorship is a positive thing. So they start to walk away. Ratcatcher is aghast. The blood sports like this is what she said to do. So they start walking away, but he can't get far. He stops and he turns around knowing that his head is about to get blown up. And they're like, she'll kill you, you know? And he says, that's, that's her business. King Shark follows, Harley follows, and, and then they all follow. Uh, Waller is not fucking around. She's, she's ready. The, despite the fact that they've all completed the mission from her perspective, as far as she knows, she's ready to blow all their heads off just for going off course and not following, uh, you know, what's, what she's ordered them to do. And at this point, one of the analysts who it's not John, it's not the one that we see the most. It's like this other character who's barely been in there. She grabs Waller's putter, which she was using earlier. It was set up in the film and she clocks Waller across the back of the head. And, and John, the analyst is like, well, what, what are you doing? And she says, all those people, John, little kids. And like, and the analysts get to work. Cause like, they're like, we're not kid killers. We're not like that. Yeah, I uh, I I like that moment. I don't know if it was set up enough for me. These are extreme measures that clocking her on the back of the head with the putter. Yeah, it's like a yes, okay, good, finally. But I don't know if I was totally on board with that. I was on board with it happening, but if you just beat your boss with a putter, 
I think they they did set it up because there's three instances where, but it's always John every time the analyst played. Oh yeah, played that's by true. Steve yeah, there, that's true. There's three that's instances right. where he's like, "Are we really doing this?" And like, where he like makes a face when she's talking about uh, like, like they're, they're they're not thrilled. Like he in particular is not thrilled with the action. So it's funny that it ends up being this other character that does it. But I do think that they they kind of set it up. I would argue. You're right. I get, you're I right. It. I just wasn't expecting it from that from that lady i think was a little bit jarring yeah no it is so the the suicide squad unmolested by waller is free to take on starro and they're going to get his attention and and lead him away from the city that he's starro away towards. from yeah right yeah right, right. Lead, lead starro away i guess i should say it away uh bloodsport whips out this ridiculous but awesome spinning gun that's like, I don't know, <laughs> nanotechnology or something. Like yeah, well, it's so stupid. But it's why so was cool that pulled out at the time. 11th hour? Because I... <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't fought Starro yet. He didn't need it. Here's my spinning gun. Yeah, I guess I'll save this for when I fight Starro. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't he have used that earlier in the movie? <laughs> you would think it could have maybe come up, but uh, he didn't need it. Uh, they, they tell King Shark that monster is num num. Monster is num num. And he attacks. Uh, Bloodsport turns to Polka Dot Man. It's your mom. And we see a giant Dr. Krill, uh, giant <laughs> Polka Dot Man's uh, mom, played by a woman named Lynn Ash, who is so perfectly cast for someone that doesn't have a single line. But her, this this completely just, I don't know what you, how you, how to, she's just unremarkable. You know what I mean? Like this, yeah, just like this, right. she looks like she could be any woman, any anyone. Just like you pass at a grocery store, uh, and she is a giant, and she is attacking the city. And uh, <laughs> Polka Dot Man attacks. Yeah, that's my favorite scene. That's my favorite scene. I loved seeing Polka Dot Man's mom destroying the city. This is what he sees, and it's where this is somehow. It was a little bit inexplicable to me earlier in the movie when Viola Davis. She saw something in this guy that he is a leader, Bloodsport, that yeah. he is a leader. And to me, he didn't really portray that many aspects of leadership. But now here it turns out, yeah, he he is. He ha he does have that in him. So he's coming yeah. into his character, King Shark, as he, he's set loose, Polka Dot Man set yeah. loose. And then <laughs> this giant Polka Dot Man's mom is destroying the city. It's a great scene. Yeah. And, and Polka Dot Man, again, just incredibly powerful. I mean, like, out of all of them, he demonstrates that he's probably the only one equipped to take her to take Starro out, maybe on his own. Even um, he could possibly do that. Like he is really, really powerful. So he shoots polka dots at his mom, at his mom's legs, and then all the proxies. I love it when all the proxies they start jumping up and down and like grabbing their leg too and yelling because they're all feeling pain at the same time. And uh, it's such a like a sad but triumphant moment, po Polka Dot Man, I'm a superhero, I'm a motherfucking, and then boom. Uh, oh, I was, I, I yelled the first time I saw it. I yelled, I'm like, no! Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Not, not Polka Dot Man. Uh, and it's the thing, I know I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but <laughs> this is a guy you made me care for and you killed him for the laugh of it. Like, I understand if he's going to die, fine. <laughs> I'm okay with people dying, but. <laughs> you made it a joke. Well, it it is kind of a joke, but it is it? I mean, I don't know how much that one's a joke. I mean, it's a little bit funny, but really, it's, I mean, to me, it, it seems like the. I mean, he he screams that he's a superhero and he's proud of himself. It's like the best moment That's the of high his life moment of his whole life. Yeah, it's probably the highest moment of his life. He's fighting his mother. He is, but he also knows that it's not his mother. He knows it's not, and he knows yeah. that what he's doing is saving people. 
And he's proud of himself. And he's like, I'm a hero. So I, right. I actually find it really, really tragic. I don't find I mean, like, I, I don't even know that it's supposed to be funny. I don't I don't think it is. Actually. Okay, well, that's what I guess because it, it, it is. Tra- I agree with all those things. I just the the way he died, I thought and I think because I was already thinking that I was like, no, not Pokemon, man. Like yeah. <laughs> he's he's worth more than a cheap laugh to kill him like that just for a cheap laugh. But if it's not for a cheap laugh, then I'm 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 for it. I'm I'm, I'm just going to say right now, I, I, I want a polka dot man prequel. Bring me, bring me a polka dot I, man prequel film, <laughs> and bring bring me a King Shark movie too. I'd be happy with both of those. I, I would love to see, uh, the yeah the backstory of polka dot man and King Shark, and maybe they met before. Maybe it's possible. Let's let's watch that movie. I'd, I'd be into it. So after my favorite character, our favorite character, is summarily dispensed with, but he goes out happily. Starro throws Nanu off Nanu away off of it and uh, moves on. Bloodsport is fighting the proxies and it's starting to look kind of grim. Ratcatcher, of all people, turns out to really be uh, important and powerful as well. In slow-mo, she climbs a car. She's saved by Bloodsport from a giant Starro limb, uh, and she calls the rats. The Starro, through one voice, says, This city is mine, and she responds, This city isn't yours. This city isn't ours. It's theirs. And then come the rats. (laughs) And she's right. I looked into this. Like, How many rats are are on... The is this is this a normal number of rats that are living in any given city at any given time? This is this is exactly where I was going with this. Is that I okay, researched okay, a little bit because <laughs> because there is a common misconception that there are more rats in uh, on Earth than humans. Okay, I think I've and heard that's that not before. true. Um, yeah, um, there there are more ants than humans, but they're not more there are not more rats than humans. There is estimated to be about the same amount of rats as there are humans maybe maybe a little bit more it's hard to say okay but the thing is is that rat populations well they focus in urban areas so when they when they are together like we see them in huge groups so while there might be more of them than there is people they are less spread out than people you're going to find them primarily in the cities so pretty much any given city is going to have probably i mean this is a little bit rough but around twice the population of the people okay. that are in it in in rats. So yeah, I would say that that looks like about I don't know 200,000 rats or so if I had to guess. <laughs> okay, good cuz I I was 500,000 or so. I was very concerned that this uh, giant half man half shark fighting a big octopus starfish that that was uh, with the rats I just couldn't buy. It was not believable. You don't want it to become unrealistic, right? <laughs> right. So I'm glad they did the research on that. <laughs> amount of rats there would be it did seem like just an overwhelming it's, number of rats just pouring out of houses and uh they swarm over everything and that's you know all the way up starro's legs all over freaking him out like he doesn't like rats either apparently <laughs> um and harley at this point proves uh her importance she gets at the top of this wall right as sebastian makes it to the top of starro pretty much and she comes running out with a javelin and she pierces his eye and it's so fucking gross because she just dives in like it's a pool. Yeah, she just splashes into the gelatinous eye of the. <laughs> and the rats start following her in. And I love that um, she knows what the javelin's for before it happens. Like there's a, yeah, a realization, right. like, oh my word, it's lined up perfectly. It's it's just a great culminate, a great movie moment. Uh, yeah, but her diving into that mucusy. Right to the pupil of that eye, and then you had to so see the gross. rats gnaw and fall and come into the eye and start gnawing through the 
blood vessels of the eye. This really happy music starts up. Um, but yeah, you're right. That is an important and good movie moment. And that she's been carrying this thing around for most of the movie being like, I don't know why I have this. And then she's suddenly, I, I realize I know why I have this now, why I've been carrying it around. <laughs> that's it. And, and it, and it is, I mean, I don't know that the rats would be as effective as they, as they are where they, if they did not get inside of Starro's eye when she right. pierces it. So she, she like, again, like they all work together to, to take out this monster. It's really, really pretty cool. And uh, yeah, the, the rats are doing their thing. And, and then as Starro is dying, Suarez as a proxy turns to Bloodsport and says, my favorite line in the movie, he says, I was happy floating staring at the stars yeah yeah this tragic right and like it's like shit now now i feel bad for starro did you just make me am i sad for starro now i thought the same thing i thought well wait a second just a second ago he said this city is mine didn't he like yeah (laughs) he's not completely innocent here like this seems like he yeah he's not no he's not completely innocent you're right he is Starro the Conqueror. He's conquering. <laughs> he is Starro the Conqueror, absolutely. <laughs> but he would have uh, been yeah, okay that was sad. out there in space. Yeah. So Starro collapses and Harley kind of climbs out of the funk and her and Bloodsport give a thumbs up to and each it's other. And bouncy eyeball. She climbs out and it's the way the eyeball bounces like, ugh. I also think it's super gross that she like has her eyes open when she's in there, like watching Sebastian and the other rats. Like You're like getting stuff in you. Are you going to open your mouth now too? If you ever find yourself in that situation. If you're ever in Starro's eyeball. <laughs> yeah, man, didn't you learn that lesson? Uh, Bloodsport's daughter is watching TV, and she learns from the news that uh, her father and the Suicide Squad saved Corto Maltese, and that the Corto Maltese will now have a Democratic election, which is cool. Ratcatcher is crying over the remains of Polka Dot Man. Again, I think driving home that this, this part's not supposed to be funny. She's, she's like, she seems very upset. Uh, Bloodsport talks to Waller and he uses the drive as leverage to gain all of their freedom, which is not exactly uh, what Flag wanted and, and not exactly it's a you know it's a self-serving thing, but it gets them out of their situation. Waller is not happy with their crew of analysts, uh, <laughs> but uh, you don't know what's going to happen to them. Yeah, there's and I, in fact, as much as I was not quite following the coworker or subordinate bonking her on the head with the smashing her on the head with the putter. I did like that shot at the end where she just kind of is looking like all the analysts are busily doing their work and she just kind of looks out at him holding her head like, oh, I am not the person I thought I was. I don't have the control that I thought I did here. And (laughs) it's a cool it's a cool moment. Like, hey, listen, we're going to do our stuff. We're going to do our job. Don't get out of line. It's a it's a it's a nice moment for her. It's a nice moment for Bloodsport's daughter where she mm-hmm. sees him and then she's, she's proud of her dad. So they're, they're, they're tying everything up in a nice bow. It is. It's, it's and, and not, not too heavy handed. I, I wouldn't say no. And, and, and uh blood sport says, look, I know that flag wanted us to give the, the drive to the press, but we saved the whole bloody city. We can't have it all. Uh, and, <laughs> and he's right, I guess. I mean, like it's, it's not the ideal that the truth didn't get out there, but again, these are villains. They're just going to save themselves first. And I don't, I don't fault them for that at the end of the day. There's this great conversation between Bloodsport and Harley, which is like, I could be your friend, Milton. He's like, that's not my name. I, I was with Flag. I think to use that information for selfish purposes. Yeah, you're right. It does. It fits the characters, but it is. It was for me a little like, oh, okay. And I, I think it's supposed Something to be. I mean, didn't I think feel it's supposed resolved. To... And you're right. Yeah, I think it's right. supposed to be, you know, uh, they, they, and, and he's right. They, they do save the city. 
you know, I mean, like they, they save a lot of lives. They save Corto Maltese uh, and for its future as they well as the Star. present. Right. So, I mean, there's, it's a mixed bag. Right. This military copter comes to pick them up. They're all exhausted, but Bloodsport sits there and he lets Sebastian sit on his knee and even pets him, which brings us like, you know, full circle with his, uh, it's not just a phobia. Like now he's, he's going to accept. And that's, and that's how the film technically ends. We get a, uh, after credits, after the first credit, uh, sequence where we learn that the, the weasel, uh, lives which I guess he's got more children to kill, so we'll see more of him, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Where's, oh, good. I'm glad that that child killer. <laughs> and it. you were you were watching the superhero movie, so you probably knew to stick around for after the uh, all the credits. Did you watch did. The, the final credit? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Remind remind me what it is though. We're, we learned that Peacemaker is also still alive, and uh, John, the analyst, well, yeah, and yeah. one of the other analysts, uh, they're clearly setting up the TV show, the Mad, the the, the HBO Max show that's coming with, with oh, Peacemaker, because okay. they they said they need him just to save the fucking world. Yeah, I didn't know that was um that was for the TV show, but I was glad again because Peacemaker. Not because I like the character, but he was a very entertaining character to look at, to watch. Yeah, even though he ultimately is um, the real bad guy here, or one of the real bad guys, he is, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's watchable, he's likable. He's, it's funny that he ends up with a TV show out of all this, because he's, he's the one that probably <laughs> is the, he's, he's certainly the least redeemed out of all of them. Right, no, he is not redeemed at all. So that's, that's Suicide Squad from the year 2021. The Suicide I, I, Squad. And that's the Suicide Squad from the year 2021, right. which again, I, I mean, I, I'm hard pressed to say it's the best comic book movie of the year, but it, it might be. I mean, uh, comicbook.com just announced it as the best comic book movie of the year. Some other uh, kind of nerd nerd companies are uh, saying similar things. Um, as much as I love No Way Home, I, mean, I really need to watch it again to, to, to compare because no Way Home is a, a, a great movie, but it's and I, I don't know how much of it is a mess, uh, to be honest. Like, I kind of need to watch it again to, like, to let it properly roll over me because Suicide Squad is a very compact and well-planned and well-executed standalone movie. Uh, and I think it's really strong. I agree. I'm going to say it's my it's the best DC universe movie. I mean, if we're not counting the Nolan Batmans, the best yeah, not, DC not whatever they the call Batman. It. It, and yeah, is it the best of the year? What 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 are the what are the what's the competition this year? Um, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Black Widow, Eternals, Eternals. That's when I was forgetting, and and No Way Home, No Way Which Home. I, I, and then we I have, love all of those movies. Oh well, I haven't seen Eternals, and we had the Zack Snyder cut, I guess, coming from. Yeah, yeah, the Zack Snyder cut too. No, I think that counts. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to give the edge to No Way Home, but you're right. I, I might have to see it again because it was just such a a fun experience. I was just almost like uh, on a roller coaster, you know, watching the no way home that I might have to really sit through it again, knowing what I know now I, I went in spoiler free. So it was the perfect way to experience it. Yeah. I felt like it was like washing over me. You know what I mean? Like uh, I have to watch it again with a little bit more presence of mind. Well, great pick, man. I uh, really enjoyed this movie. Thank you for having me watch it. I, I probably would have watched it. I get around to watching all these movies eventually, but this one, I really had no desire to because of my the history <laughs> of Suicide Squad, and uh, but I was really glad that I did. So I appreciate you Good. picking it, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. 
It's been fun talking about it. Uh, and, and I'm glad also that we're now done with 2021. We can finally move. Well, finally, it's only our fifth episode coming up. Finally. But we can finally get away from uh, 2021 and go back <laughs> another year to 2020. So we'll be discussing our, okay. our, our what we think are the best films of 2020 in the coming episodes. Chad, you have Perfect. first pick for 2020 what is the movie that you have chosen for us to watch as the best film of 2020 well is that how can i ask is that how we're going to do it or do we want to do we want to always have me be the first uh pick on that year i i don't i don't have a preference i just figured that was you know i picked this one so you'd pick the next one yeah let's do it let's let's switch it every year so this so 2020 you'll start off the year and then i'll close this out okay that sounds good uh in that case i will announce what i think is the best movie i'm excited i don't know what this is going to be I've actually already told you, but you've forgotten. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I know then. I do know what it is. You do know. And the movie is Soul. Yes. Soul. Pixar's Soul. So that'll be our next episode. Perfect. Well, I look forward to ta- discussing what you think is the best. Not just what you think. I mean, we're talking about the actual best. It movie. is the best. <laughs> of <laughs> 2020. Experience of 2020. Which is Disney Pixar's Soul. Yeah, so we'll do that next episode. I'm excited, and and we and it looks like we're we made some talks today. We had some talks today. We're gonna make some adjustments concerning our schedule. I think we're gonna play around with that. Uh, maybe two weeks between episodes is a little lengthy, so uh, we're gonna start releasing them a little sooner. And last but not least, I have been meaning. I, I I regret that I'm only now doing this at the end of this really lengthy episode that we're doing here. I'll do it again another time. But I have been meaning, and I'm sure you have too, been meaning to give a really thankful call out to two individuals for their help. Uh, One being Aaron Worley for providing the music for this show. Thank you, Aaron. And also to your wife, Chad Crystal, for her work in making the graphic, doing the graphic design for our logos and stuff. Thanks you all. Uh, great work with that. We really, truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Both very talented individuals and we're glad to know them. Thank you, yeah. Aaron. Thank you, Crystal. And yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you all for listening in. If you uh, would like to email, you can always comment on uh, Spotify or, or Apple podcast or anchor, wherever you're listening, or you can email us at bestfilmpod at gmail.com. That's bestfilmpod at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your thoughts, your concerns, your your anger even. Get it out there. Don't hold it in. And uh, and follow us on social media. You know, we're on all the expected regular social media. So please follow that. Maybe tell a friend. Help us get our uh, feet off the ground here with our new podcast. We really appreciate you listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.